0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast, I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, I reckon this is episode 268, it's a conversation with the author Catherine Robertson. Um, I wanted to have this conversation uh, a year or so ago, and then uh, lockdown happened, and I had asked to um, read a couple of her books, to borrow a couple of copies from her, uh, so one thing led to another, it got, it got sort of, the conversation got delayed, Catherine moved from Wellington to Hawke's Bay where she'd sort of been coming and going between the two places but she actually lives up there full time. So recently when I was in Hawke's Bay for a brief holiday, I went, "Well, who better to talk to? And so went around to her house to have this conversation, now this is an old fashioned Huge ramble chat. Um, it's a long episode, and I love this chat. That's why I'm keeping everything in. We talk about all sorts of things. We do talk about her books. She's written eight. Um, I have not read eight. I said to her, I'm not going to get through all of your books, but I'm going to read, you know, a couple of them. I'm going to read a couple of them, and we're going to talk about them. So we talk about writing, we talk about her work, her books, what she's passionate about and interested in, but we also just have a massive conversation about um, art, about Books, movies, music—the things that the things that we love—we um, start off with quite a long uh, chat about Matthew Cooper, who's the an artist and a friend of mine. Um, and a guest of this podcast way back on episode nine. Um, Catherine and I, I think think we established that that's how we first kind of spoke in person, was talking about a shared love of Matt Cooper's work and owning some of his works. Um, So yeah, that sort of sets us off, and we just have this huge ramble chat, which I loved. And man, the names that get dropped in this episode, we go all over the map from, uh, you know, um, Jilly Cooper to, uh, um, you know... Uh, Stephen King, and then we go to, uh, you know, potentially much more highbrow writers than that. Um, So I love this conversation. Catherine is also the co-owner of uh, Wellington Bookstore Good Books. So we get a couple of plugs in for the shop and talk about um, the whole process of deciding to open a bookstore. just after a lockdown, which is what happened. Um, So Good Books is in Wellington and uh, there'll be a link to that. There'll be a link to uh, Catherine's website and her works and um, maybe I'll even chuck in a link to that very early episode with Matt Cooper. But I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, Catherine um, talks sometimes on RNZ on the same show that I do, Jessie Mulligan's afternoon show, so I think maybe that's probably where we first bumped into each other. But I've just been aware of her... Of her work through things like writers festivals, arts festivals um, and literary events. I'd seen her speak before I met her and then we became friends online as, as happens these days and then eventually got into a conversation in real life. Um, again what I love about this podcast is it's really just an extension of the sorts of messages you send one another over many years of talking online it's like we finally sat down and had all of those conversations all at once um so i hope you like this this is me talking with the bookstore owner and author katherine robertson i was thinking driving over here um you're one of those people i don't actually really know how i know you i guess i mean i just know you through
1: i but i
0: can't remember how we would have first met
1: we met because i think i commented i would i would to you on Facebook, yeah, I think we would yeah. comment on things on Facebook, and yeah. I think I met you at the Verb Classroom. I, I think so too. Yeah. I think that's the first I think time I came really up properly... and introduced myself. And yeah, we yeah,
0: went, oh, yeah. Hi, you know. So, and I, I, you know, I must have just become aware of you from knowing that you'd published and seeing you at, at, at events. I think I saw you speak somewhere before I actually met you, um, but yeah, and then we were on Facebook and yeah. stuff. So, I, it's that distorted thing where, in some sense, I feel like I know you quite well. And yet we haven't hung out really at all, and that is a classic Facebook yarn.
1: That is, and um, yeah. Like and also,
0: we're interested in a lot of similar, similar things. things. We've talked about art, books, music. Those, yeah, I mean, know, maybe we bonded over
1: Matthew Cooper. That's maybe pro- it was
0: quite possibly. Yeah, I remember that being in the initial discussion. Definitely,
1: that could well yeah. have been. We yeah. had a conversation because I used to sort of, I think, comment on your posts and various things. Mm. But um, I think we actually had the conversation about Matthew Cooper. I think that was what. Yeah. Actually kind of properly connected
0: us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for anyone listening, Matthew Cooper is an artist and I think he is episode number nine of this podcast, which is now up around two hundred and seventy.
1: And he <laughs> was recently on Jesse. Yes. No, it was uh, no, a Catherine, on... Catherine Ryan. Was um, he sure? No,
0: he was on the weekend Kim... R Z Kim
1: Hill?
0: Yeah. Uh gosh. I think it might have been Karen Hay filling in for <laughs>
1: Um, Jim Mora. Jim
0: Mora. <laughs> we just named everyone that works. Every at RNZ. single person who works at RNC. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But, but he was in. He's he now in, in Las Vegas. In, yeah, yeah,
0: he's lived there for a while. Yeah. And I've known Matt um, since kindergarten. Oh. Yeah, we've been, and so he's. I always say to people, he's my oldest friend. That's in so that cool. we've known each other right through since we were four years old. Have, Havelock North or Tomato Kindergarten and Havelock North, and we went right through primary, intermediate, high school. And then I think he went and did his fine arts degree in Wanganui and I was in Wellington. And yeah. So we still were in touch, and then he moved to Wellington, and then the big move was him going to Vegas. But we've yeah. So he's a lifelong friend.
1: That's really lovely,
0: and he yeah. did the cover for your he did poetry do a cover collection. For my book. Yeah, which, which was I, a nice, as soon as I saw it, I knew. It yeah, was him. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a nice full circle. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, it was amazing that he would do that, number one, and even better that it would, he would do it at mate's rates. Yeah. And now I sort of say to people, my sales pitch for the book, if they don't want it, it's like, you don't have to like poetry. This is the cheapest way you could ever get a Matt Cooper. You know, yes. 25 bucks is a steal. <laughs> for and a we book. both, we
1: had this discussion earlier about what we had wished we had bought of mm, Matt Cooper's artwork. I, I know. still longing after that cupboard piece that he did for that exhibition. And that's so
0: weird. So we were... I'm in your house in Hawke's Bay, and I've seen two Matt Cooper works that you bought, which I coveted, and the cupboard that you're talking about, which had the feather inside, yeah, the feather. Yeah, was the one that we wanted too, and and at the time, and this is 15 years yeah, at ago-ish, least 15. maybe yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. This was his first significant solo show, actually. Like, right, this was his hey. Proper yeah.
1: Yana Land. That's when right. She was still in Jesse
0: Street. Yeah, and this was she was his dealer, and that, that 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 was his. It was a big thing. That was his first solo show with an established name. Oh, that's so, really yeah, good yeah, to know. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I didn't that, know that. In a way, that was kind of a well, it was a big thing, but it was kind of his arrival in a way as a you know name artist or the start of being a name artist. I yeah. loved everything Same. in that show. Yeah,
1: and I wished I'd had. Heaps more money. I always wish I have more money for art. (laughs) It's like I don't mind if I can't buy clothes or furniture. I'm not really interested in stuff, although, you know, over the years Mm, you you accumulate stuff. But I will always covet art and somehow find money for it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, unless it's ridiculous. You're sounding a lot like my wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yay. Kate, Katie's, Katie will sort of make that argument, I think, and, and, and it's rubbed off on me, and it and there is, I mean, it's an ultimate indulgence, but there's something so wonderfully pleasing about that, to go, this is a comfort. It this is a is comfort. And you, you live with it, it lives with you, uh, you're shaped by it, it looks different when you look at it, you put it in different spaces. Yeah. It changes your mood, the mood of the room.
1: It was nice to come up to this house and be able to put out things that I haven't had, yeah, like we're sitting here and looking at most of the stuff that's on this wall was my mother's mm, mm. you know and I haven't had this out Yeah, yeah, ever yeah, yeah. Um, you've just been hanging on to it I've just been hanging on to it and now we sort of had the opportunity to do it and what you say about when you put it up in a different arrangement it's a whole
0: different you tell a new story
1: yeah it's a new story and a new way of looking at it and pairing things that you hadn't paired mm. before I had my mate as the artist Paul Forrest mm-hmm. and I have a lot of his work mm. including the little butterflies on the front door um but he came and hung them. We yeah, did it cool. in two lots yeah, yeah. And, and it was, yeah, it was awesome. But I mean, I've got like, I've got everything from $10 zine fest price. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's... To
1: work that is in mm, several thousands. Yeah, so. I, lo-
0: I love that. When people come to our house, uh, um, they often go, who took that photo? That's great. And it's like, uh, I don't know, got that from the David M. White Gallery. Yes you know for five dollars and bought the frame down the road for ten yeah and you know katie's got a good eye for stuff like that and it just it's just something and it's just a black and white photo of a building yeah and it could be anywhere in new zealand which is what's cool about it yeah and but it's hung next to some photos by a much bigger name photographer that weren't loads and loads of money but were a lot more expensive than that yeah yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So we both left that. We didn't. We would have been at that Matt Cooper exhibition opening a long time ago, not knowing each other at no. all. Facebook <laughs> wasn't invented then, or wasn't in popular no. use. and um, I did. I did buy something. I had the exact same experience. It was like, oh, I, well, we want to buy everything, and certainly that cupboard, that light bulb, which oh. you've got, the scrimshaw, which you've got. Those things were on our list. Um, we did buy a big drawing, and. Um, which was expensive at the time for us. It was a real stretch to do it, but um, we wanted to support him, and, um, and you know, it was cool. Like, but, so where did this love of art come from for you? Because it's obviously been fairly lifelong.
1: It has been lifelong. Uh, my mother was a good artist. She really liked doing it. She was a, she'd always wanted to be a Disney cell colourist, mm. and one of my great regrets is uh, we went back to San Francisco... We lived in sort of San Francisco, Marin, year 2000-2001. Very interesting time to be in the States. Um, but mm-hmm. we uh, came back. We'd come, you know, made friends there, so we came back and, in time to go to the Disney Museum, which is now in the Presidio. Mm. And I did not know that Walt Disney was a collector of miniatures. Uh, and my mother and you're sitting just next to my mother's Mm. doll's house that she had the frame made and basically made almost everything that's in there I used to buy things for her it's an amazing piece and Walt Disney used to collect little rooms and Mm. little miniature things and I honestly walked around that whole museum feeling like I was channeling my mother because it had pictures of the women doing the cell art Mm. it had a beautiful display of all the inks that they would use the paints that they'd use to colour the cells and so she was a very detailed artist, she loved little things, um, she used to make the vases that are in that house, she used to make them out of Fimo, and she'd do replicas of antique vases, like Laliques and Wedgwood, and they'd be an inch high, and she used to sell them at through Pleasant Place Antiques in Tinakori Road, way back mm-hmm. when, decades ago, and she used to do greeting cards and sell them through a little, there was a little shop, I think it was in Johnson Street or something, called Party Time, when I was a kid. And she would sell um, her art through there. But she really never got out with it. But she always, I think, you know, just through that, I was so interested in illustration and art. I mean, my husband's a graphic designer. That was his training. But he is a very good drawer. And our oldest son is amazing at drawing. And he specialises in comic art. Mm. Um, But I think, and also, my first job out of university... I worked for Agenda magazine which was a freebie magazine in Wellington ran for a few years and I used to write for them sell ads just do everything everybody there did everything um, but I used to go around because we did the listings and uh, you know what's on and I'd go around all the galleries mm. and talk to them about what was going on mm. so I remember distinctly going up to was it Booker Gallery in Kelvin yep. and the very first Carl Maughan exhibition was on and I looked at these and he was just out of university mm. and I looked at these beautiful paintings and went and they were two thousand dollars and I think I was making twenty two a year, you know, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. And I went just can't do that mm. and but part of me goes but if I'd paid it off over like a year or two <laughs> years or something, I might have been able to have one yeah, yeah. right from the start. And I remember going, there was a gallery called 33 and a third. Yeah. I think that was in Martin Square. And I went there and they had a beautiful Michael Tuffery exhibition. And again, it was like a piece for 300 bucks. And I went, it's my week's pay. I can't do it. But I always thought about it. And then like a decade later or more, I was in a gallery in Tasman down south and there was a print almost, you know, a little work almost exactly the same and I went, right, goddammit, I'm having this you know, Mm. and I just used to collect things as I could afford them and go to openings and covet the really Mm. good bits but there's also something really lovely about supporting like up and coming artists, like new artists and, you know, and, and just rather than I remember having one of those boring Auckland type conversations about property and art and they were all going on about their you know, these were not close friends but mm. it was like they were going on about their bloody like hottery and you yeah, know, yeah. John Drawbridge drawing collection I mean amazing and, stuff but yeah, I mean amazing, but yeah. I'm just going you're only buying it because yes. it's worth money yeah, yeah. and people are going to admire you it sounds, like, it. it
0: sounds like you were talking to my brother because he, <laughs> lives, he lives in Auckland and works in property and that's his and he's got an amazing collection of art now but, um, and, and I'm really stoked for him because I think, like, he earns really good money and has worked really hard and he used to, like, not treat himself to anything at all and used to have bare walls. And he used to sort of, I think he's a frustrated artist. He was a, you know good at it at school yeah. and really good at it and then just it fell away and he just got taken over by earning money and mm. capitalism and corporate world. And... He, I, I, really like going to his house and seeing his art. But the things he chooses and the way he goes about it yeah. is so calculated, And the way, even the way they're hung, it's so calculated. It's like he's got this um, modern New Zealand gallery in his house, which is lovely. But it doesn't, as a collection, it doesn't actually speak to me in any way. because no. I, I like coming to your place and seeing, as you say, the ten dollar stuff with yeah. the two thousand dollar stuff, and that's what we're like. And just having things in, in all sorts of places and, um, you know, you have your themes and your collections within your collection, sure, yeah. but you mix it up. And he's buying things out of catalogs and at auctions that he's studied and researched and, you know, and he'll let things go. You know, so to me, that's like...
1: It's, it's like share trading, isn't yeah, it? That's exactly yeah. Right. and when so that, Yeah, when it's starting to lose its value, you just get rid of it. And
0: so that's fine. And it's like, you go to his house and we're talking like, you know... Bill Hammonds and Toss Wollastons and Hoteries and and, um, Gordon Walters. You know, Mm, big, beautiful, beautiful pieces by big, important names. But, you know, Graham Sidney. But it's like, as a collection, it doesn't actually speak to me.
1: No. And, I mean, everything that I've got is meaningful in some way to me. I've Mm. never bought any piece of art just because it was a famous name mm, or, or a good deal or, or a, a good deal etc yeah, mean, you investment. know, I bought weird things that I sort of thought that I would never buy like there's this is awesome gallery down um, in Arrowtown called Nadine Milne I think mm. she's in Christchurch or Dunedin now as well um, and I walked in there and there was this green foiled green skull And a print, and I just went, oh my god, that's so awesome, you know, got a bit of a thing for skulls, and shiny things, and I went, that's so cool, you know, and it was like a frightening price, and then, uh, that's the sort of, of, I asked the price first of all, and then Mm. I went, oh, who's it by? And of course, it was a Damien Hirst, you know. And I've kind of been allergic to Damien yeah. Hirst, but a green shiny skull really spoke to me, and I fucking love that skull. <laughs> <laughs> it's up there, and so yeah, it's just just buy things that you you enjoy, but don't. I don't have to justify this art collection no. to anybody. No, that's right. Yeah. If you're
0: not hurting anyone by having it. as no. the thing, right? So well,
1: and just no, I not I don't have to justify why I've got like you no. know. my mum's watercolour and a you know a more expensive piece or my kids art and something else I don't have to justify how I put this stuff together it's just but were
0: you a uh you know as a kid and and we'll go back to this Mm. um in in a couple of ways but did you do you feel like you graduated from like cutting out pictures and sticking them on walls to to collecting art in some sense, like were you a post to the wall Well I
1: was a an art student. I did I did art fifth form and sixth form, mm. but I knew that I was I was okay, mm-hmm. you know, I was a B art student. Yeah. Um so I was never gonna take it any further. Uh, but I loved illustration. I loved copying illustrations out of books. I loved making things with yeah as you say, yeah. cutting out pieces of paper, making collages yeah. obsessed with paper mache everything yeah. you know, and obsessed with sticking googly eyes and shiny stickers <laughs> yeah. on things. You yeah, know yeah. how you were when you were a kid. Yeah. And yeah. and because mom, mum was great. Oh, she loved it. I went that through a big too.
0: googly eye phase a couple of months ago actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <And laughs> so you know, I don't know what that says about my arrested development, but I you know, I found Instagram to be quite fun for that. D V D covers oh. and record covers uh, a lot of fun to stick Googly. googly eyes, eyes and yep.
1: some weird thing for yep. me, sequence. Yep. Yeah, never got old. <laughs> <laughs> Just love them yeah and like i had a button collection and all this sort of stuff that you would do and i was kind of obsessed with embroidery at one stage and um so yeah i just i just i did love making things i mean my brother and i were very into creating lego worlds so Mm -hmm. we had lego and we had blocks and we had a whole kind of you know so and always on the floor of his bedroom And we do things like get up early in the morning to go and make these cities and Mm. have these kind of Mm. stories and things going on. Your own little world. So always making things, always. So
0: you're a Wellington born and bred. Yeah. And so you grew up in a creative environment. You grew up in a house that liked to make and do things.
1: Well, that's interesting because I don't feel... My mother was very creative. Yeah. My mother liked art. She liked making things. Um, She was very good at it. But my house had the worst collection of ugly prints. It was like that horrible, it was the the worst, um, like the, the Vincent van Gogh um, yeah, trials, yeah, yeah. which should be nice, but somehow it was just all shades of brown, which it kind mm. of is in real life, but it was mm. still like blah, and a hideous, um, oh, who's the one? Bruegel, you know, like the yeah, Bruegel yeah, print. Yeah, yeah, And everything was just really kind of, Just nothing, you know, and there was the odd nice ornament which had probably been got because my my grandmother used to work at Valentine's department store because they were Christchurch people um, in the China department, so there was a bit of Royal Dalton hanging around, nothing worth any money, but it was quite pretty. Um,
0: But but New Zealand, mm, um, 40, 50, and 60 years ago, and even 30 years ago, yeah, there was a lot of like you know, carpeted bathrooms and and uh, you know, weird. art on the walls and inferior coffee we were just a little kid in the world
1: but the weird thing was it's like when you know the house was not particularly great for art um there was the odd nice piece of um, 1970s pottery Mm. they had some animals Mm. um that i think they got from rona gallery which was i always thought was a really cool place but they always used to take us out to the douse as well and i think through going to the douse um as a kid, is that was when I really got interested in New Zealand art. Because um, I was just remembering there was an Annika Baron like a big caterpillar that she'd made out of, you know, mm. pieces of pottery, segments mm. of round pottery. And I loved that caterpillar. I mean, I'm talking when I'm seven mm. years old, mm. you know, and one of the first pieces of art I remember actually buying was an Annika Baron pot from the potter's gallery in Tinakori mm. Road when mm. they had it, because mm. I was living, living there. And, um, yeah, I've got a little Annika Boren pot that I bought for, I think and it was quite a quite a lot, like twenty bucks. You know, when mm-hmm. you're a student, that mm-hmm. was a lot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, going to the douse, and um, if you walked into the douse, there was paintings up above the main entranceway, and there was like a Don Binney, and there was um, and the name's going to completely escape me. It's like um, uh, the one I used to do in quite flat colours, and there's a woman lying on the ground with another kid leaping over her Mm-mm. the name will come to me when yeah. it's like super yeah, yeah 3 I can AM. see the image yeah, yeah yeah and and I think that really opened me up and also when I was 14 we went to the Tizen and Bornemites collection which came to the main art gallery which is mm. still in the old you know museum Mm-mm. um War Memorial uh, area and oh my god that was incredible you know you're seeing Picasso's and Rothko's and Dali's and all this sort of stuff in the
0: flesh Mm
1: I think these things just make a lasting impression Yeah,
0: yeah. I still remember. I mean, it was it was. Uh, I mean, it's not that long ago, but I can remember the first significant exhibition I went to moving to Wellington was that was that Mapplethorpe one which was very controversial, of course. Bash. But man, it, like there was some beautiful stuff in there. You know, oh. it, it, it isn't the couple of images that people wanted removed and banned that I remember. It no. was the close up portraits of famous people. Yep. It was the, you know, all sort. it was everything else about it. And just being in that room and knowing a tiny bit about him and his world and wanting to instantly know more because of being in that room and seeing those pictures. And the,
1: power of them I think there there is nothing I mean you can see a picture a replica even if it's a nice quality one you can't get a sense of what they're like until you go I remember going to the Pierre Gilles exhibition as well yeah high camp but so beautiful so beautiful yeah yeah so I've always tried to go to as many art exhibitions as I can and support like there's some really great galleries up in
0: up here there's Hawke's such Bay. a um, there's su- I mean it's obviously true of any place but I guess because of my own sort of uh, fractured conflicted relationship <laughs> with Hawke's Bay having lived here for the sort of first roughly first half of my life and then moving away and coming back as a sort of you know reluctant tourist yeah, I, I'm amazed by both the music scene that's evolved in the last decade I would say particularly and maybe the last decade and a half the art scene it's incredible like there's it, yeah um, tal- talented people um good venues and options and galleries and good support for it clearly i mean i know the region exploded and there's money here yeah and that that helps support things like that that's an obvious thing to say but um i'm amazed at the level of talent I across think... both those mediums
1: well weirdly it is um you know for art and music uh, but also for writing mm. somebody said there seemed to be an awful lot of writers in Hawke's Bay there are a lot of writers in Hawke's yeah, Bay true. writing in all genres yeah. and I yeah because I was counting up I had a book launch for the latest book and um, what was that just before Easter and I suddenly went oh you're a writer, you're a writer, you're yeah, a writer. Yeah, Your yeah. Writer is yeah. Saying, which is know, not, surpri- my friends, not surprising still, at a launch, yeah. but
0: um, yeah, that's right, like the in, in a particular place when, yeah. you, when you can spot the numbers and they're just stacking up. Yeah, like
1: yeah. I, I hosted, um, the other weekend hosted the chapter meeting, haha, for the um, local romance writers mm. group that's mm. here and a lot of them are well-published, successful mm. Romance and variations on that theme.
0: And also the... I feel like the... And I've only dipped a toe in the water with it, but the uh, arts festival that the Haw- Hawke's yeah. Bay puts on is super impressive across yeah. the last few years. Like, the you know, and there's a writers and readers component to that, but just the general arts festival...
1: It's always got things... I mean, because the difficulty is, is that this is the first year we've been here, so we just yeah. moved up full-time in yeah. mid-March. yeah. So I've often tried to coordinate with the arts festival and the writers festival but i haven't always you know been able to go to everything but yeah, yeah. you know i haven't been there for the, i've only been yeah. there for a few days so yeah, I yeah. it's at either end and yeah. uh, but i remember a friend you know a friend was staying here and we went right okay you're yeah. here i'm here right we're going we're doing it yeah. and we did oh it was just
0: but yes. even just reading the program which, I know. you know which i do every year when it when it comes out it's like man if i could be there for all of that, well, I, would they had go, a, I would go to all of that. Like, they had a white good. night here, yeah. which
1: is that one where the um, the city opens up in Napier at night and there's all this stuff happening after hours.
0: I was up here for that one. Did yeah. you? Yeah. That was a couple of years ago yep. when I went to that. It was amazing. Yes. And uh, you would walk down an alleyway and, and Fane Floors R.I.P. Yep. would be yes. you know, showing a video yeah. Um, debuting a video from the album that's only just come out a couple of months ago now, and you know there'd be people painting on murals on the wall live, and yep. it was incredible. The light show. Yeah, the yeah. Whole it thing. was amazing. I felt like I was not only not in Hawke's Bay, but I felt like I was not in New Zealand. It felt yeah. like something that would happen in San Francisco. Well, White or or somewhere a, like that is
1: it a French? I think invention? so. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, and it was just such good fun yeah
0: that was amazing like that was the the time I think that I fully went well I've got to get over whatever grudge I have about this place and just go um, amazing shit is happening here you know, it's right, uh, I
1: have the same thing about the western suburbs in Wellington. Yeah, it's just
0: you just have that conflict. I think it's quite—it's generally quite a healthy thing to uh, have a source of tension with the place you grew up. I think because it informs your work on some level, or it gives you something to, you know.
1: It, it does, to I think, in Wellington, bless it. You know, I've <laughs> lived there for fifty-two out of fifty-five of my of my years, and I. And when we came back from overseas I wasn't ready to come Mm. back because my husband's you know he'd been overseas working, he'd cycled you know for a pro-am team, done two years of that in France and all over Europe and and you know so he'd had his kind of OE and and I never had and so I wasn't ready to come back but I and I think it probably took me even though when I did come back it was about the end of 2002 I did throw myself that next year into everything Wellington had to offer, so mm. I went to all the arts festivals, mm. galleries, film festival, everything, went to as many things as I possibly could, because I feel like I have to, had to re-know it, you know, mm. and, or re-bond with it, um, but it still took me some time mm. to re-bond with Wellington, mm.
0: I'd say, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, can, I'm, I can imagine, and I've got a friend who's just moved back after 20 years away and it's interesting you know yeah. it's really great to have him back in the city because he's another of my oldest best Your friends mate, yeah. but you know he last lived there in 1999 yeah and it's it's just a completely different place to him
1: it's a I mean I've, I've loved watching it evolve over the last you know so that's almost 20 years that we've been gone and um, or we've been back rather mm. and it's you know, I have loved watching it evolve and I think it's really vibrant and, and I like watching the things that happen there and, you know, I'm a trustee on for Verb Wellington mm, mm. and loved watching that evolve over yeah. the last few years and and so, I, you know, there's an enormous amount of creative energy and willingness to do interesting things.
0: Whenever Verb comes up, I, like whenever there's an email about it or I see Claire or Andy or whatever, I always think about um, being in the San Fran and I can't remember what I was doing there, but being in the bar, uh, might have been playing some records actually on a Friday night, I think, early. And Andrew came up, because I used to play hockey with Andrew years oh, ago. Yes. So we yes. knew each other from that and I would see him around and we'd always have a chat because I, I knew he played bass and was quite into music and good and so forth so we'd always have a chat whenever we saw each other always liked him and then he introduced me to Claire and went oh if you're not doing anything tomorrow we've got this little festival we've started um, it's called lip crawl, and it's like there's all these events, and like if you could mention it, you know, that'd be really cool. And I always just think of that moment, like
1: you must have been one was, of the, Must have been the first year that it happened. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It? it was. It was. Like, they, yeah. were, they were giving it a pump. Oh well, honestly. <laughs> and like the night before, he was like, "Oh, so if you could go home and mention it, you know, yeah. we're, we're sort of hoping, you know, some people will turn out for it." And it's like. You know, a couple of years later I did an event as part of Verb, and it was like so well established there. I know. And then every year on it's just a different Well, I don't
1: think I went to the first year, but I certainly went to the second year. Yeah. Because everybody I think was talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By that stage. That's right. Yeah. Amazing. It it is. And it
0: just continues to evolve and grow. Yeah. I think
1: Claire is honestly one of the most talented programmers. Yes. Yeah, no, totally She brings that to the Wellington Festival yes. The verb is It's own um, special thing It is, to it. It is yeah. really special And yeah. I yeah I just love it to bits Yeah,
0: so. yeah. I always mention it and think about it But, um, you know, doing that um, What was it called? Uh, um, lit sync for your life Where we, oh, were, yes. do, we were doing yes. poetry and then drag performances were on And I was put in that to to read and I was just like how is this what even is this and how is this going to work and then Chris who programmed it said to me beforehand are you nervous and I was like yeah and he's like yeah me too I don't actually know what I've programmed (laughs) and that made me relax I was like oh sweet well you know he doesn't know what the fuck this is yeah then but then you get up on stage and it was it was a small venue as they do but it was jam-packed yeah Yeah. everyone was there to um you know, everyone was on your side. There's
1: a great willingness because I think that's the joy of verb is that it is an unknown, Yeah, like, yeah, you just, it is the life of the box of chocolate. Yeah, it's it's, experimental and playful
0: and it's, you know, and and a little bit risky, Mm. but also there's a safe, like there's a hallmark of quality now that, you know, that's the safe aspect is like, well, this is probably going to be a good event because otherwise they wouldn't, Exactly, run with it. like exactly. It, m- it might not be quite what you think, and it might go to a crazy place, but it'll be a good crazy place. Yeah. Well, it's like the things that they took a punt on,
1: like um, the lie down and listen, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. which was just the best, mm. and um, feminist rage night, which was again yeah. a total punt. How is this going to work? Yeah, and of yeah. course, it's become one of you know the stalwarts yeah. of the festival. Yeah. And, and what I love about Verb also is that they they don't privilege overseas. Yes creators yeah yeah you yeah. know it's they'll all incorporate all about, them when yeah. they're allowed
0: but they've you know as the last year and so has shown they can just do a fully local program
1: fully local program and, and no
0: dip in quality at all
1: absolutely none and it yeah. was but I've always loved that about it is like everybody who gets onto a stage or whatever at verb is all equal everybody's on the yeah, par yeah. you know which I just like is the way to make really interesting things
0: happen. So, how and when did writing come into your life? Because we're talking a lot about creativity and mm. art, but and I mean, you, you've, you've mentioned it out of school going off to do things, but you know, are you writing as a kid?
1: No, well, or reading a lot? Oh, uh, reading. I was yeah. an obsessive reader. Always. I think it was a. I remember, um, because my I lived with my grandparents all my life, so they lived with us Um, and for the last sort of 12 years that I was there, sort of 6 to 18, we had my parents and they built a house and they were in a little flat underneath it, Um, but before that we were all in the same house and I remember distinctly, it was time for me to start school and my grandfather was reading to me and I said, I can read this book and I did read it and he said, you are not reading this, you are just remembering the words and I was going, what is the difference? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Quite frankly and they said like and I was going don't need to go to school uh, but no my wish was denied I went to school and but I read you know, I couldn't tell you I was so young that books have always been part of my life yeah. and bless my family for being obsessed yeah. with books Yeah um, But I would read more than I would write I never you know it's a, it's a confidence thing and and for me also reading, reading was an escape I mean you know, my family was a bit of a strange place to be, and I think I've just been reading about dissociation, um, you know, as a form of uh, sort of protection, I suppose, psychological protection, and reading is a dissociative activity. Mm. And dissociative activity is not bad, you know, because that's Mm. where creativity Mm. comes from, where you can be in your head and daydreaming and things are all entirely healthy and necessary. But I know that I was escaping, like... Mm. Properly psychologically, yeah, yeah, finding books. a new world, a new world, and I think learning and just being a different person was mm. really in a different environment. Um, so my mother was great at she would go to the library, she would go and get a stack of books pretty much every week, mm. and we just, me and my brother, would read our way through it. And she would, and she was very good about reading to us. Um, I do remember sort of lovely occasions of all being wrapped up and she had this kind of gold coloured eider down which was ancient like and feathers kept coming out of it and it smelled a certain way and we would sort of wrap up in that and she'd read us stories um, but I don't I think I remember writing little picture books um, but mainly if I was doing play with like my brother or you know friends from school um, which I didn't have that many um, we would make up stories so you'd be making up mm, stories mm, on the mm. spot. So storytelling, I think, was always there, but actually writing it. I remember at school, like, must have been... Oh, yeah, it was um, School C English, which I ridiculously got 99% in, which is... I So I think when everybody was rounding up, somehow I got rounded up to 99%, which is like, <laughs> why not go the whole way? Can't do that. Uh, but I did write a story for that, and I because they gave you a starting point and Mm. you wrote a story, Mm. and all I remember is it had something to do with a tumbleweed, but that's it. Um, But I didn't, you know, I didn't write at the university, I did English, but I ended up, when I ended up getting the job after uni for the magazine Agenda, Mm. started off selling ads, which I was pretty shit at, um, but became better at, and uh, and then got a chance to step in. They had a feature writer who had sort of been commissioned to write this article on wellington's nightclubs Mm. and they went do you want to do it and i went sure so i did this two-parter on all the nightclubs in wellington (laughs) and everybody really liked it and it was quite controversial because i didn't know about like what would happen if i was entirely honest about what some of these nightclubs were like what was it oh god what was that one i keep wanting to call it slats but that doesn't sound right anyway it'll come to me um but that was like, oh my god, it was just so sleazy and awful. And I think I just totally wrote that and um, we got into a bit of. <laughs> there were complaints <laughs> made <laughs> by the owner. But after that, they went, Follow your boots. And so every month I what, did a.
0: What did, did you, an article. what did you plan to go and do? Like before that, was there ever a plan? Like, was there a thing my, you were hoping to go and do?
1: No, my dad said to me, I mean, bless him, he worked for Ford for some years and he'd been involved in their advertising. and. When I was doing, I did art for fifth form and sixth form, and he said, "Oh, what do you want to do with it?" And I went, mm, I don't know. And he goes, "Oh, you should go into advertising. That's where the money is." And then he kind of instantly went, "I'm not going into advertising just because there's money in it," you know, as you do when you're mm, a teenager. Mm. Um, but then I'm when I started, not going to do what dad says. I'm not going to do what dad says exactly, yeah. and um, and I just ended up, uh, but thinking that I wanted to do something with writing and advertising, public relations, magazines were, you know, the way to go. So. When I was working for Agenda, I did my certificate in public relations at Wellington Polytech. Uh, and then they shut down the magazine and just wanted to concentrate on doing other things. And I went, well, that's the only reason I'm here. So I left. And as it happened, um, a f- my a friend uh, got a new flatmate. And she worked for Ogilvy and made the public relations. And she said, oh, we're actually looking for somebody to be a junior. Mm. So I got taken on. And Peter Biggs you know, who's gone on to other things in mm. the arts and advertising industry, um, was my boss. And and I was two years there, but we were allied to Agul made the advertising, um, where I met my husband, and also thought advertising looks like much more fun, uh, so I did this thing called the Advertising Ideas School, but I kind of accidentally got pregnant, um, so I was very pregnant when I did that, had the baby in the middle <laughs> in the second month, you know, Um, Still did it, and Mm. won it, and you won a year's employment with each of the six agencies that had kind of done this ideas school. Um, So that's how I got into advertising, and so all my life, I've done writing for a job, uh, but never creative writing, and Mm. I... When we went to the States, and we went to work for a dot-com, and of course that just kind of tanked immediately, but by that stage, my husband had got another job. But I was for the first time unemployed, and you know, paid employment. And I had the boys were at school and preschool, and I thought, right, it's time to do something about creative writing. And mm. I looked around for a course, and there was one in a community college, and it was um, run by a poet. His name was Thomas Santolilla. He was a very good poet. He'd won all these awards, but he earned absolutely no money. And he taught creative writing. Um, and the venue was a retirement home in Mill Valley. And so we would go to this retirement home and uh, and it was a short fiction, you know, we would just do short fiction, workshop it, and I suddenly went, I love this and I think I can do it. I learnt a lot from that and when we went to Britain, after we left the States and went to Britain for a bit, I sat down at the kitchen table and wrote a really shitty novel. So <laughs> shitty, so bad. And, and then we... Decided to come back to New Zealand, and I kind of put it on hold because you know we had to earn some money. And around right about 2005, started thinking about it seriously again, and just went on the track of writing another, probably not quite so shitty novel.
0: What happened to that first shitty novel? Did it oh, end up I existing? No, I think it just. I think honestly.
1: But you completed it. It was, I a, did. it was
0: a finished manuscript. Yeah. And then did you look at it as people do and go, "Oh no, that's horrible." Or did, well, I actually. Or did you I, like it?
1: Well, I kind of liked it, yeah. but I don't think I would have written I imagine that. exactly, and
0: that's what I mean. In the moment, you're not going to be instantly no. embarrassed of it.
1: Well, I think, you know, I was thinking about what I've learned over the years of being published. Mm. Um, I've learned more about writing uh, by being edited by mm. a good editor mm. than I have about just doing the writing itself. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that, so when you are starting out, one of the key things is you don't, you cannot edit, edit yourself. No, exactly. And you can't be objective about it, and you just need to be able to get somebody to have a look at it who knows what they're doing. Um, and but I had met this woman. I'd met this amazing woman, and her nickname was MT, and she had been married to this famous man in San Francisco. whose name, I'm very bad with the names, um, but he was like a Pulitzer Prize award. Mm-hmm. Woman. Herb, Herb Kane, Herb Kane. think that was his name and he came at c-a-e-n and he was a famous famous um sort of columnist and she was like his third wife or three out of five or something but she'd been the only one to give him a child but she had been to um like Truman Capote's black and white ball and all these society things that you read about in Vanity Fair Mm. um and she was an agent and she said send me your, you know, send me your book. So she got to see the shitty book. Hmm. Told me it was shitty, and um, so I went and sort of started writing again. Um, How did
0: you handle that?
1: I think it's. I mean, you know, criticism is hard to take, but she had also been quite good about saying why, which is what yeah, a yeah. good. You that's know, good criticism. Good criticism. Like, that's a good critic. Yeah, yeah. And so I just kind of, you know, you just sort of get sad for a bit, and then you regroup. And then you Often go,
0: work out that it's mostly true. Or, mostly or, true. Or, you know, yeah, that's right. We well, you can see how a person arrived at that. You yeah, can. Yeah. yeah. And, and that can take a while. And then that's really good, isn't it, when that well, happens?
1: learning to take criticism in a... It's fine to be sad and it's fine to be hurt by it. But you can't be mad. Because if you're mad, you're not going to go anywhere. And I remember it was hilarious in this writing course. I sort of looked at people's reactions to... You know, feedback and from the rest of the class. And there was this one woman who'd written this um, quite lovely story. It was, but it was based on her real experiences with blind dating. Very funny, very smart. But she just ended it in a kind of like a meh sort of way. And so we all said, oh look, you know, this was great, but the ending's not satisfying. She went away and never came back because she was so hurt. And then I also mm. was running late one time, and there'd been guy, this guy called Kevin, and Kevin was seemed reasonably normal. Um, but he hadn't shared any work, and um, I came late, and he was storming out, and he said to me, you're a nice person, but those in there, they're idiots, they're idiots, like this, and he walked away and never came back, and I sort of opened the door, and everybody's looking at me going, uh, I went, so, didn't go so well, (laughs) they said no, he just, as soon as they started feeding back anything that was a little bit, seemed to critical, he just Mm. completely blew his top and went, and... That is not a way to become, you know, learn to become a writer. Um, Yeah, so me and MT didn't go anywhere. I sort of just, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, she was a million years old then, so she's probably not alive anymore. Um, But uh, so I I sort of put it on hold and started to write again seriously probably about 2005. Mm. And I got an editor in the States, um, sorry, in the States, in the UK. Uh, But we toed and froed over books, and I think I ended up writing about, I rewrote the the first book that I'd submitted to them probably three times, and I wrote two other books in between, and they sort of rejected every single one. They got to the last one, and but the woman I'd actually connected with had left by that stage, and the mm. other woman who ran the agency wasn't that fast on my writing, and she just didn't really want to sell it. Mm. So we parted ways after five years of toing and froing, and again, you know, so I had my sad moment. Um, And then went right what have I learned because I had learned a lot Mm. and sat down and went right as I wrote the first draft of what became my first book um, Sent it off to a whole bunch of different agents. I got one with two in two weeks and she came back to me was she was so positive and so bang on in her kind of Understanding of what I was trying to do with this Mm -hmm. book. I went. I love you. I love you so much And we had this fantastic, you know conversation um and she signed me up and she she sold that book she sold it to what was then random house in new zealand mm, mm. and went from there and then i had the great good fortune because at random house my editor is Carrie allen and you know of course when you're ignorant i mean i knew nothing about publishing i knew nothing about new zealand publishing and industry and how it all worked and mm. and so you know to discover that she's She's Owen Marshall's editor. Fiona Kidman's Trish Grace. Yeah, she's a, le- she's a legend. She's a
0: legend. She is a legend.
1: And I went, oh my god! And yeah. she likes me. Yeah, and yeah,
0: yeah. But she she, has she published me so much. um, she published Katie's novel. Oh yeah. And um, like way back and sort of whenever that was 2005 I think Yeah. and yeah I remember like meeting her and she's so low key of course but then sort of you know I recognise the name and then sort of finding out all those names you've just mentioned and going you know wow like that's serious business like she's super important you know one of those great as is the way with the editors and publishers they're always pretty much the the person behind the people but she's one of the sort of really important ones in New Zealand
1: she is and she is so good because yeah. it is and you say she's low key she I mean, it's nothing about her she wants you and your books to be successful yes. and she works with you and she makes the real effort to get to know you and your style so mm. she works with you it's a, it's it's a truly collaborative mm. exercise and as i say i've learned so much about being edited by exceptionally talented intuitive, you know, um, editors
0: and. and um, so you are talking about this book. I am. And uh, which you probably didn't know I had. I did not know you had. No. <laughs> it was a good reveal, wasn't it? <laughs> Out of the bag. The, <laughs> the sweet second life of Daryl Kincaid. Yes. Now, and how do you feel about this book now? Because it's because I, I asked that because it's a bit like asking someone what they feel about their first album because you've got runs on the board now. And, yeah. And this is in the scheme of things, a wee while ago. Um,
1: well, that came out, I sold, that got sold in 2010. Yeah. And published in 2011. Yeah, so, yeah, so we're a decade, it's a decade old, a yeah.
0: decade old which is, is, yeah, it's it's significant, particularly because you've followed it up many times yes. since. It's not like you had a massive break and have just put out a book. You've been regular <laughs> since this. Yes. So is this um, part of the set, or does it stand out on its own? You know, is it a nervous first work, or is it, you know, the first run's on the board and you're quite proud of it? Or is it sometimes both? I'm very fond of it. I remember
1: going to a Writers on Mondays um, session with Vincent O'Sullivan talking about how he became so embarrassed about his first book of poetry that he would actually pay students to go and buy them up (laughs) and steal them from libraries. (laughs) And I just it's a clever thought, way to
0: get sales. Well, that's, so far, a re- that, that's smarter than saying, you know, it's a cheap way to buy an artwork. Didn't even <laughs> think of that part. That's really genius.
1: But I, I'm I very fond of that book. But mm. it's, it's interesting because I have now, Penguin, no, it's now Penguin Random House, mm. has um, given me their blessing, um, they did this last year, is to go and publish the e books of these. Essentially in okay. every... And paperbacks. I could do paperbacks. Yeah, yeah. I just haven't got my yeah. act together to do that. So to basically publish this set, there's three books, and yeah. then I wrote a kind of a bonus novella yeah. to round off the series. Um, but I... So I have put those up online.
0: Right. So, and yeah, so But I can have gone back yeah. to
1: edit them yeah. and update them because yeah. I know there are things in there that I would want yeah. to change. And yeah. I, I... I still like that one very much. That one sort of very much comes together. The second one was a bit... Like, I am much happier with the newer version of that because I rewrote it quite a okay. bit. Yeah, yeah. And and so I've sort of gone through. So, yes, I am. But would I change it? Yes, and I have done. Yeah. So if you have access to Kindle... In any other country apart from Australia and New Zealand, you can get the updated version. Right. Of and have you Facebooks. heard, yet?
0: has that happened fairly recently? Yeah,
1: I like? put them up in April.
0: Okay. Have you heard from anyone yet that has enjoyed, you know, already knew the work and has enjoyed the update? No, I imagine that will happen with time.
1: I assume it will, but yeah. I assume it will do. But it should it's be been, pretty cool. It's been a fascinating exercise yeah. to, to self publish because I.
0: Isn't that incredible how easy it is though now too. Like it is, to, but to put an e-book up?
1: It is, but it's like, I just realized, I mean, I've been sort of, because my mates are romance writers yeah. and so I've been part of the romance writer community going to their conferences since 2008. So I kind of feel like I knew all the principles about self-publishing, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty of actually doing it, sure. I went, oh my God, I just don't oh, know. It's a whole
0: job. Like, a it's whole a whole job. thing. So I ended yeah. up
1: signing up to be mentored by Steph Green, oh, yeah, who yeah. writes under Stephanie Holmes, and mm. she's really successful and mm. just the loveliest person. And so she just talked me through, we had six sessions, and she talked me through everything that I needed to think about, and I learned so much from And she was saying. yeah, that, I, Just giving little tips as to, you know, when it says this, don't do that, do this, that sort mm, of thing.
0: Because mm. um, I always sort of feel like, I mean, I've read a couple of, of e-books about, publishing ebooks and about mm. self publishing and 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 they all you know they do have good tips in them and and so forth and they're easy to work through um but yeah i've always been a bit on the fence about it myself cuz it feels a bit like your full-time job now becomes publishing yourself yes. and the hobby is doing the writing on the side and but but I see how that's a really good thing to do for a person if it works for them, who doesn't want a full time job that's completely removed from writing. Like at least it's still in that zone. But do you, do you know what I mean? It's almost oh, like eighty percent. I would say eighty percent of the work is in marketing and editing and publishing and promoting, yep. and twenty percent is actually writing.
1: I mean the the ones the the secret to doing well in self publishing is to have to write in a genre that sells yes. exceptionally yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Romance, every flavour of romance yeah. is still the biggest. Yes. And then it's, you know, um, Probably science ho- fiction, horror. fantasy, horror, yeah. etc. And then crime yeah, as well. Yeah. They're all yeah. sort of up there. Yeah. Um, so you need to write in one of those genres. Um, yes. You need to fully understand it because you have to, readers have, you know, expectations and they are not going to, follow you if you don't meet them. Yeah. Um so yeah, so you need to research that. And then it's really just a matter of I mean there are just tens of thousands of books that go on Amazon every day. Mm. And oh, yeah, to it's make scary. those decisions about whether you go on you know, they have the Kindle unlimited yeah. yeah, yeah, service. Yeah, yeah. And if you go on that you can't go on any other platform. You have to be exclusive yeah. to them for ninety days. Yeah. Um and honestly it's been a real education to see how these books have done which is like they're still way down yeah, way yeah, down yeah. the list like thousands yes. and i've made probably and i've not made no money but yeah, i've probably yeah. made if i added it all up maybe 500 bucks at yeah, the absolute yeah. most yeah. you know and they've since they've and, been on in april
0: and that's pretty good i would think well like, i got in a, in a i sense. got
1: a um there's a there's various sites that will promote yeah. Books. You when you do deals, yeah. and there's one called BookBub, which is the, has the biggest audience. So I got a BookBub deal for um, Canada, UK, and India of all weird collections. But mm. it's that's that's what they offer, and I went. Um, so they gave, gave me that, but for that's for this book first in the mm. series went down to ninety nine cents. And the spike that goes mm, up in the sales mm, is, is amazing. amazing. And you and can it, actually watch it. Candle like, patterns, yeah, 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 you can sort of watch it going which up, which is scary but cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except I do notice it's hilarious because they um <laughs> they the, the when they show you the report mm. the scale of it is um is commensurate to what you're actually selling. Yes. So my scale has shrunk down now because yeah, after yeah. that one it went up for a bit yeah, and yeah. then it's shrunk down now so that like three sales. Is quite a big line yeah, instead yeah, of what yeah. I can't actually see. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I, I mean, so Steph taught me about Amazon ads, and you know, and I've been applying for BookBub US deals, and they mm. keep turning me down. Um, so I just, you know, there are different ways to think about it, and things you can do. I mean, I've not done anything like Facebook ads, mm. so I'll use this as a an exercise, yeah, experiment, to, yeah, to figure out. But I mean, yeah. as you say about the full time job, I should be looking at my stats every day. Yeah. I should be dicking around with my Amazon ads every yeah, day and tweaking, tweaking those. And it's amazing and how people and
0: people do that and know how to do that. I know. And it is such a like and there are people obviously that can be quite cynical about that, but that is it's such a skill to be able to do that. And it's amazing what you can how you can use these digital tools to refine well, steer, the approach and, yeah. and, and literally steer people towards what you're doing and create the space for yourself.
1: Well, I've done things like, you know, this is like learning from the romance writers. Like I um, can apply for, because when you put your book on, you can choose two categories. Mm. and But you can apply for other categories. So if you apply for other niches, then you might become further up the ranks in that particular niche. Mm. So for me, if I'm in contemporary women's fiction, well, so is like 50 million other people. Mm. But if I get into something like, you know, um, marriage and parenthood or something like that, then Mm. I can kind of maybe get a bit further into that, you know, further up the ranks in that niche. But you have to know, to apply, you have to know what all the different countries' categories are. So you have to go through and research all of it. And then you apply individually for all of those. And I'm just like, so I've got this, like, um, I've got all the uh, got folders with the categories in it Canada, UK, etc. And I'm going, still haven't gone around and done it yet. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, haven't yeah. done the application. It's like, I'm a bit shit at it. But I've written a romance, I've written an actual romance, which my agent loved and ended up selling to France. So, and it's done really well in France, which is hilarious. Um, and they want the next one, which I'm like twenty thousand words, because I haven't. And, and that's ebook
0: only, or uh, no up? paperback? That's paperback, paperback,
1: yeah. and ebook. So they yeah. just put it into mass market publication.
0: Wow.
1: French are like really cool. The French like when I get pub- something published in French, um, you know, in France, they'll take it and they'll do sort of like their first run, which will be their kind of. They don't do, don't do trade publications like we. You know, and trade it's translated, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And then, but they'll do, like, a session sort of slightly more quality paperback. And then they'll just go, oh, we're going to stick this into our mass market division if you want. And we go, sweet. And mm. then they just send it out, and it's all the airport books and things. And, but, you know, I get little royalty checks. And I've got a, I got a royalty check from my German publisher who took that book, the mm. first book, and the second book. Um, but they came out in, like, 2012 in Germany, like mm. six months apart. But they're still selling. Which that's amazing. Quite sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. yeah. I mean,
0: I'm not getting mutt. Like no, know, no. But it's a uh, couple you know, hundred
1: euros or something. But it's not nothing.
0: No, it's. I mean, I put out a book in 2012, and it, it, you know, really, it doesn't exist anymore. And yeah. that's And that's pretty standard. Yeah. Right. Like, exactly. I mean, mine, especially because mine was uh, a hardcover, expensive music book that was only published in New Zealand. But even you know, I'm not, I'm not setting that up as a barrier for it. But that's the, that's the life expectancy of yes. a book. That, that existed until about 2015 or 16 yeah. and you might find it in a second hand store and you might see it on someone's shelf and it sold quite well Yeah, and it did fine um, there's nothing embarrassing about it but that's a pretty standard story for a book so to a decade later to have it in other territories and still receive still something from, and it isn't even it becomes, I mean correct me if I'm wrong but it isn't I mean you've just said this, it's not about the amount of money you're getting, it's just that nice idea that there's a relevancy to it that
1: People you know, are still enjoying it. It's a little it.
0: bit it becomes a little bit sally feel, doesn't it? They yeah. like they like me. <laughs> they like me. <laughs> they actually oh like my me. god, that is so, that is
1: exactly what it's like being a writer. And because you know Isn't it? when when you put a book out and my book I mean, my books have always hit the bestseller lists. Yeah. Um, my last one is the first one that didn't go to number one. I got as high as number two. And what but, knocked you out? Oh, look, um, uh, Away and of course Bug Life because yeah, it was just okay. about the time so, it was the...
0: Um, so that's pretty good. Like, yeah, you oh can, I,
1: This <laughs> you is can, the thing. It's like there's so you many... You can
0: not feel um, rage towards those titles oh, goodness, and I that's know. a good company to be in, right? Like, the yeah. standard of New Zealand yeah. writing yes.
1: is just yeah. so extraordinarily good. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've, uh, to the point where I'm... It, all my right, my reading that I've done lately, yeah. books that I've collected, is yeah. I think ninety five percent New Zealand yeah. writing. Yeah, because I feel that it's the best that there is. Yeah, that's you know, I mean, amazing. obviously, I'm the co owner of Good Books. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'll just put that little bit of. No, oh, yeah, no, no. no we thing. were going to get there, but yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it is one of the things that we Jane and I absolutely wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, both of us are New Zealand writers. yeah, we, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. But we, we wanted to not have a New Zealand table. We wanted to put the New Zealand books all in and everything the, else. In with the herd. But yeah. we have not... It, New Zealand books are not hard to sell. New Zealand books, like our children's books, Jane did the reports mm. and realised that our top-selling children's books, out of our top five, three of them were New Zealand-penned, mm. which is phenomenal, and we just sell a lot of New Zealand books. And because people finally are turning towards them and mm. honouring their own writers and are excited about their own writers. And also I think because the New Zealand writing community has grown yeah. so much. Even from when I started 10 years ago, I feel like there are so many more people doing really amazing work and in in such a variety of work as well. And I think that just builds its own momentum where mm. people are interested in and everything from poetry to non-fiction essays, mm. it is the New Zealand stuff that is doing really well. And yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, which I am so pleased about because it can be a bit frustrating when... Um, so, you know, there's other bookshops have New Zealand tables mm. and my stuff always tends to be around the back. And, um, and then somebody sent me a shot over and said... And I said, oh, where is that? Because it was, like, prominent on the mm. New Zealand table and they said, told me the bookshop... Which will be unnamed, and I went, oh, geez, they normally slip me around the back. That's awesome. You know? <laughs> but it is, it's slightly frustrating that you sort of feel you. It's slightly sort of, you know, um, special needs. And, mm, I mean, the mm. argument amongst book sellers is that people who come in want to know about where the New Zealand books are. Um, but I think any good bookseller can actually just say, well, what are you interested in, mm. and point them in the direction of a good New Zealand book without yeah, having yeah. to put a table out there for. You know, yes,
0: it always felt a little bit like this um, concession even yeah. in music stores too. I mean, I've worked in both and you sort of, it, you know, if you don't have the dedicated section, if you make a recommendation to someone, you could feel yourself sometimes as a retailer even going, oh, by the way, this is a New Zealand, you know, this is a New Zealand album yeah. by the way. And, and instead of adding that as a sales point, yeah, you're almost apologising. Yeah, 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 for, and yeah, that, yeah. And that seems to just be gone now, which is great. Like, well,
1: New Zealand Music Month and yeah. the, sort of the yeah. general success of New Zealand music has is, is pushed that. And I think, you know, I had a chat to, because I was writing an article about it, it must have been for the listener, I think, and um, I had a chat, chat to Grant Smithies about it and mm. I was saying, why do you think that New Zealand music managed to crack that barrier of acceptability um, and that cultural crunch thing just disappeared, and we were sort of talking about it. And I think one thing is that um, music is a lot easier to sample. You know, you can sample yeah. it for free yeah. and get it. You can hear it and like it yes. without knowing that it's a New Zealand. Yeah, that's right. And you, you know. get,
0: and again, it's that merge with the herd mingle stuff is that now a lot of people experience music through um, playlists. Yes. And so, you know, and we were talking about this a little bit um, before we started recording too about how certain things start to really shine when they're put next to things so so, you know your New Zealand music track that you don't know and it's sitting in between you know I don't know what but Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye and if you hear Louis Baker in the middle of that they all just line up yep. all of a sudden. It doesn't matter that oceans and generations are between them. They're three songs in a row, and then you go, "Well, what's the one there I didn't know? Mm. Oh, who's Louis Baker? Mm. Oh, he lives, in, he, lives in Wellington. he lives in Wellington, you, Wellington, you know, so whatever." Yeah. And then, and that, yeah. and that becomes cool or whatever it is, and
1: yeah. But you've already made a connection that's with right. it, and I yeah, think that's the yeah. difficulty with books. Yes, it? you know we are reading is, you know, we make neurological connections with these books, and there's a lot of research about, um, you know, it's all that research about that reading can make you more empathetic, but it effectively is looking that we can actually experience emotions, you know, as they are being sort of, you know, portrayed to us in the book. There are neurological connections being made, and, but the thing is, you, if you don't know what this experience is going to be like, you don't know that you're going to have an experience that you like yeah. that you enjoy and so people are wary of making bad decisions with books mm-hmm. and we get it all the time with, you know, in the bookshop and that's the the skill of a good bookseller is to be able to overcome people's fear of having a bad experience you know, mm. to be able to prime them for it and so and because, you know, I look at all these you know, the books that, that are mm. sitting, sitting around here, um if I don't know the author and the cover's not giving me too many clues, I don't know what I'm going to be. I don't know what the experience is. Am I going to take a punt or am I going to stick with something that I know Mm. I'm going to enjoy? So it's a, whereas with music, it just comes into your head, you just hear it and there it is. Mm, It's mm. already pinged into your your consciousness and made its little imprint. So yeah, it's like, how do we And yeah, it sells
0: itself to you. I mean, yes, you can open a book and be, you know, in the, in the zone in the mm. first page or two, but it's still, you know, when I read this book, I was like, this is not the sort of book I would normally no. read, of
2: course and not, I
0: know no. you won't take any offence no. in that, it's just not, and I liked it straight away, I got yeah. into it, but it's still a commitment yeah. to work through this book, whereas, you know, a song is three or four minutes. And, and, and that so it happens another, that and it makes, another, it's, it makes its imprint. Yep,
1: that is another thing that sort of helps, yeah. is that the commitment is not big. The
0: time commitment. And so yeah. you can love the time commitment mm. of a book, mm. but I feel like um, we all are uh, pushing water uphill with a rake a little bit to try yep. and um, get our pages under people's noses in this day and era where they can be distracted in so many other ways and feel like they're too time poor to enjoy Make of commitment. curling up on a couch with a book or to and make I've, a commitment yeah. I've had
1: conversations with people about lockdown so when I mm. we came up here for lockdown and I binge read yeah. all my YA I went back yeah. to the shelves and I binge read through all my like, Diana and Susan yeah. Coopers yeah. and all that sort of stuff reread them because I needed that sort of comfort and yeah. and it was a good opportunity to do it so I've read and read yeah. and read but other people said that they're well, I books, mean, when you're basically in that kind of final yeah. flight mode and everything's yes. really anxious-making, yeah. how can you sit down and concentrate on a yeah. book? Yeah,
0: I uh, did. I, I didn't. I mean, I read. I always read, but I, I sort of disappeared into the world of movies yes. and lockdown, which was a, and, and TV shows, but particularly movies, which a lot of people did. But um, I know bookstores, secondhand bookstores, and, yeah. and new all all round the place did quite well out yes. of lockdown. There were a lot of orders. People actually went. Oh, I've got time. Yes. I've got time, I'll order something. Yep. And people wanted those little treats arriving in the mail. And, yes. you know, that was its own and it endorph- wasn't it wasn't endorph- a huge endorph- yeah, that's expenditure right. out so yeah, that, that was its own little, um, you know, hit. But also, oh, I've suddenly got time again. Yeah. People yep. that have had these jobs that they couldn't do at home and that they were being compensated in some mm. level. They were being told, stay home, here's, yep. here's, you know, 80% of your pay. So I'll... I'll do a little bit of looking on social media, but I do that all the time. Mm. I'll park up with a book. That that did happen a lot, and it was also which is pretty Yeah, cool. yeah, as well. You know, yeah. I and
1: mean, all those things that make it easier to read and. I mean, I've always been able to get into a book and just the world disappears, but yeah. not everybody can do that. Well,
0: you've got the training. Well, well I have got the training. You didn't exactly. know that's what it was, but yeah. that's what it was, right? Like, and then you think you. As you, you know, you thanked your mum yeah. earlier. That's the thing. You, you you thank the people in your life that set that up. They did because um, it really is a training. And because I, I notice it with yeah. my son, you know, who's coming up ten, and he does like reading, and he's pretty, he's okay, but it's a battle because yeah. he's grown up in a world where he's interested in video games he's interested in youtube and he is getting knowledge from youtube and i don't have a problem with him using it no uh, most of the time but the fact that i've just noticed in the last few months that he is already more reluctant to go to a book like he now associates the book with i get to stay up a little bit later if i'm in bed reading a book he doesn't you know he doesn't go during the day i'll sit and read in the weekend it's like i'm bored what can i do Read read your book. Oh no! Come and play a game with me. Um, You know, I want to. I want to go on YouTube. Those are the defaults, and so we're just sort of fighting that a little bit by trying to. You know, and I've been trying all the different things, like oh, you know, just get into comics. There's nothing wrong with Mm, comics. mm. It's still reading. They're Mm. great. I mean, they're they're awesome. Um, But some people don't consider them books. But it's still reading. It's still reading,
1: and and it's still making those. um, you know you have to interpret you have to process yeah. that information you have and to... it's a,
0: that visual thing too yeah. of like you know I, you know again like I, a lot of the art that i got into originally was in that comic yeah, book style yeah. and pop art and yeah. stuff like that so that association comes through too that um but yeah i just noticed that that's you know like versus when i was a kid it was mm-hmm. like you know you played sport and you read that's what those were, read, those were my things that's what i did
1: i read books but I also read, I got those Tammy and Ginty comics, yep. which I bloody loved. Yep. And I loved Asterix books and Tintin. Yeah, Tim I love loved books. Asterix it's books. I
0: was never into Tintin, but yeah. Asterix, um, when I was young, Garfield, Foot Trop Flats. Garfield, and, and exactly. Peanuts, you yes. know, and I've, and I've gone right back into the world of Peanuts just recently. Just, and Oscar's not into it at all. It's just me. I and had he, some he,
1: really amazing old Peanuts books. that oh, oh, would have man. been amazing. And I don't know where yeah. they are. They've gone and it's just like, That's oh, gutting. but my, my mum, had this, because she lived in the States for about 10 years, and she had, I don't know if you've ever come across um, Pogo, the comic character. He was in the 50s by a guy called Walt Kelly and Pogo. Pogo is most famous for the phrase, we have met the enemy and he is us, which is fabulous. But he is a possum in the Okefenokee swamps. And it's like you know all these sort of characters that are animals, but you know,
0: man, that's going to be my afternoon after this. Pogo I'm going <laughs> to go and look that stuff. Pogo, up. I mean,
1: it's like you know, it's dated, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. It
0: is that's even better. That like for me, that you've fun. just provided a nice little wormhole. You pogo. Know? like that's that's where I'm going after this. <laughs> I have
1: geophysical pogo, yeah. which is um, set in was the geo year of the geophysical whatever, mm. and it was like 1958 or something mm. like that. So that's what we have. Yeah, go wow. find. Pogo. Parque is pretty fun that's cool so can't you know mum was really into because I think because mum loved illustrations so mm, much mm. so books with illustrations were mm. a big thing like she was always into I had illustrated versions of The Wind and the Willows and Little Grey Men and um, what else did we have um, oh gosh I can't remember oh the, the Water Babies and things like that oh so yeah the Water Babies books bit, came well, yeah. I never liked the Water Babies that was
0: creepy mum liked was, the Water Babies it was, it was, but I was not into it yeah
1: no quite weird so, yes, but she um, she was always into them. I've like, got a few of her old ones, you know, like her House at Pooh Corner and her Winnie the Pooh box. Those, those are hers. And she um, is drawn in them, you know. Mm, so mm. this one's just here. And then mm. she's got... Um, so, yeah, and she got into these weird things I'm just looking at. I'm looking at um, one of her old copies of Love of Seven Dolls by Paul Gallico, which mm. the movie, I think, Gigi was based on. And... Um, it's also very strange and quite sort of sexual, right, probably yeah. not appropriate for a small child, really. But of course, I didn't read it at that level at all. Um, but, uh, and also things like my grandfather gave me um, Spike Milligan's war memoirs, which of course are filthy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether he just skipped over those bits or didn't really. It's funny how some of that you know, stuff
0: just, just doesn't make quite the, you know, you, you really pick up on it in revisitation though. Like I was listening to this, I wanted to ask you actually about Stephen King. Yes. Does he mean anything to yes, you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it, that's interesting because I've been listening to this podcast about him, yes. about his works. And just yesterday I was listening to the one about It and this always comes up in discussion of that, about there's a really quite filthy, weird... Oh, yes. ...children's sexual experience. Children's sex thing, yep, yep. And the person that was... They basically get a different person on each episode to discuss a favourite work, and they'll talk about film treatments and stuff too. But she said, you know, I just remember... I do remember it being probably a tiny bit titillating, but I also just... I probably just didn't really care about that portion, and I just was sucked into so much else about the story mm. that I didn't really... And it's only when I've read it as an adult that I've gone, oh, God, that is... You know, ha,
1: how that's, how
0: was I not affected by that more? And I think yes. that happens a lot, like, that you just somehow... It just skips.
1: I think it does. I think that...
0: Um, I mean, it's different person-to-person in person Well, I mean, is, you know, emotionally, we're at div- different yeah, developmental that's right. areas. You know, that's and right. I
1: remember, like, this girl I went to school with, and I remember we caught the train to Intermediate and she got, she had a copy of the Betsy Mm. you know, Harold Robbins and she was looking, she found all the sex Mm scenes and we were honestly reading it going we do not know what this means Mm -mm. and later on and I, you know, I had another friend whose um, mother and older sister would get a whole bunch of Mills and Boons so you know, I thought we were all 14 sitting in the school (laughs) classroom during lunchtime reading Mills and Boons and it (laughs) took me I think it was one of those things that it was probably about 10 years later, I suddenly went, oh. It was like something about... His hard length pressed against her, and I just thought it was his whole muscle body. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Later on, went, Oh,
0: and you know what? Like, but arguably, it could be, you know, that's the thing. Could like, be. it could be, could like, be. it's, and as you say, in that in that first reading of it, yeah, that answered the question, yeah. so that is actually okay, right? Like,
1: it was, <laughs> I just, oh, it was very, very, yeah, very so, funny.
0: So, Stephen King, where do you yes. stand on him? And don't, don't say his fault, so yeah, um, no, Stephen King. I'm not noticing him in your shelves.
1: Ah, oh, actually, I I
0: I feel I like I
1: probably don't have that mm. many Stephen King. I do have some. I think they'll be somewhere else. But did he have an impact on you? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think I was trying to remember the first Stephen. Mm. No, the first Stephen King I ever read was The Dead Zone, which okay, I absolutely okay. loved. I've never
0: I thought, read that. oh, I'm, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to go. I'm. Um, it's it's a really protracted re-entry to Stephen King's world for me. I'm I'm desperately trying to get back into reading them. Cause I, they were so important to yes. me, high school, early university, and then it's been yeah twenty years. I read them and my... The only thing I've read is on writing, you know, in recent years, which, which is really I have. good, which yeah. is great, yeah. And most writers have that or know yeah. of it, and it's a classic. Even people who claim to not like Stephen King at all have found that to be really good. Mr. Mercedes.
1: Is oh just yeah, there. okay. And I know I've got some others somewhere.
0: But I'm trying around. to yeah I'm trying to read some of those classics that I missed. So the dead so zone was on that list. So I,
1: I was very much. I think I was also getting them out of the library. Mm, so it's probably why I mm, don't have mm. any. Um, so the dead zone was the first one, and I loved that. I think I read, I read Christine, I read The Stand, mm. which I also rate as one of my favorite books.
0: That's insane. The yeah, stand. The
1: Stand is insane. Yeah, but I just loved it. I
0: want to read it again, but I know I never yeah. will. Like it's just too much. But
1: I've I've thought about revisiting yeah. it, and I kind of want to. Yeah. I watched oh, the re-
0: I watched the recent the uh, the recent TV series of it the, Yeah
1: the, I did not but I watched the first pe- one was People Rob, didn't like it yeah, yeah yeah Rob
0: Lowe. I've seen the that Randall one too play? Yeah oh, but but the I thought the the new one was okay like yeah. and that was probably and I, I recently bought a second hand copy of the original stand you know the yeah. 800 page cuz yeah. I read the big one cuz it, it came out oh. in 78 or whatever as a 800 pager Yeah. and then he rewrote it and did the complete stand in the, I, th- I feel like he did it in the late 80s, and yeah. it's like 1,400, you know, that's the one most people know.
1: I think I've read the 800-page one. I've read the giant one. Wow.
0: And I thought, well, maybe I'll read the, you know, realistically, maybe I'll go back and read the 800-page the, the one, but I don't think I will. <laughs>
1: I've definitely read the 800-page one. Yeah, no, there's, um, a, there's
0: a, a one that's bigger than it. It's about, because I read it was one of the first, yeah. Kings I read and I, and I remember being 13 and going, man, I just you know get you know I've, not the, I've, read, ju- I've, I've just not read an read 1100 it. page book. I In felt way. pretty good about that. <laughs> about that.
1: But I read I and mean, I think I read. I, I haven't read Carrie. I read The Shining. Mm. Um, and then I've just
0: started reading The Shining. The I,
1: Shining is good.
0: Yeah, because I've never read it and I love the movie and I know he hates the movie. It's and, better than the movie. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Um, and
1: I've read, and I've it's worked, I It's different,
0: anyway. I know that much. It's I quite. I went different. through a
1: bunch of them, and you know, it's the point. But I actually I ended up stopping reading him mm. because I read Cujo. Oh yeah. And I just hated what he did with the dog. I yes. never forgave him. Yeah. For making the dog evil. Yeah. And I put him away until recently, huh. which is so weird and sad.
0: You, but, well, okay. so I was reading your books, and I thought. And you know I obviously you haven 't read all of them, and you know that, but mm-hmm. I was thinking like I feel like Stephen King, if you encounter him he 's such a force that he has he has an impact on a person 's yes. writing if they go into it. And it has an impact on your reading i mean he 's just one of the name authors that in the mainstream yes. that people um, can use as a a level, a comparison. but I wondered if you took anything from his writing because I feel like. Your ability to juggle characters and also Mm. the way you, you know, what I got from this book, your first book was, as I said, this is probably not the sort of book I would normally, I wouldn't pick this up off the shelf and I wouldn't think to read it, but I instantly cared about these characters and I think that's, I learned that from Stephen King. I feel like that's what he does. He introduces people with such rich backstory straight away that within a page or a few lines, you know all you need to know about them to follow them. You don't know everything about them, but you know why you're going to follow them?
1: I found that, I, you know, because the fact that I can remember the dead zone, mm. it did make such an impact on me. And because the characters are fantastic. And, and I think that's right. And I think that's probably why... I mean, he even made me care about... I mean, I would normally care about a dog, but you know what? Yeah. The dog became a character and I was too invested in that dog for Cujo. But The Stand, I remember... Again, you are, and I think that's it, it's like, the story sort of like, it's like he knows who the characters are, and he puts them in these situations, because he said that he doesn't really plot, you know, and Lee Child says he doesn't plot as well, and I think that that is a bit misleading, because Mm. what they fully understand is how to craft a story, you know, what is the story arc? And the thing is, though, you you're not interested in that story arc unless you're interested in the characters that are going through that story, and so for you to become attached to those characters early on, that is a massive skill. And Stephen King is exceptionally good at doing that. Mm. Um, I remember um, reading an, a review of somebody who was re- reviewing Anne Tyler. who's a, mm. a you know an author I came to late, but love. And they said this. This critic said, I find myself. Emotionally invested in her characters before I realise I'm even interested in them,
0: mm. and I think
1: that's what. Yeah, uh, I think Stephen that's, King I think
0: he does. I think do. I think that happens, and I have mean, been watching it both the, the new version of it and the old 1991 yeah. with with Oscar, and because he loves them, and yeah, I found myself. I just think that actually think for all its problems, that 1990 miniseries of it is exquisite. Is it good? It's brilliant. I'm I actually so think it's so scared, but it. it <laughs> <laughs> but I just think because because outside of the the clown and the horror aspect, it's just this beautiful telling of a bunch yes. of characters and and the whole arc of meeting them as children and then yes fi- yes finding yes. them again as adults and then them having a reunion. And well, they're my all, son, and they're all different, but they're all bonded by this one yeah. experience in particular that they had. Yes, yeah. it's My quite son, powerful. my son loves
1: it. He yeah. thinks it's great, but he's not keen yeah. on the weird, creepy child sex yeah. Thing either. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he again he he just really loved the way that Stephen King creates the story through characters and Mm. and even like you know, something like Mr. Mercedes, the villain, is entirely relatable if that's a thing. I kinda hate that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can understand how this poor bastard got to be the way he is and Mm. I think that's also what he's great with.
0: I mean Yeah. You know And for this guy who can villains are awesome characters. You know, I mean the st- the stand is absolutely biblical in, in, in more ways than one, like sort of lengthwise as well as themes. <laughs> yes. But but you know, then you look at the incredible economy of Stand by Me, yes. the Body Yes and, and Shawshank Redemption. Yes, exactly. You know the, yeah. mo- the movie of the Shawshank Redemption leaves nothing out. It doesn't really embellish it, and it's really long. But yep. the novella is it's, well, it's a novella. It's, you know, it's barely, it's a hundred a hundred and something pages. But pretty much everything that goes down in the movie happens in that story. It
1: is, and and he, same
0: with Stand By Me.
1: He's a good short story writer. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. And, and I must.
0: I know a lot of people that actually that's that's their medium with him. Yes, like, I love the stories and the novels. And I sort of think maybe that will be my proper revisitation because it'll just be easier to deal with like just dipping in and out of a few stories
1: because he wrote um, he wrote a short story based on the James McMurtry talking of the Texaco mm, song mm. which I haven't read yet I would quite like to read yeah, because it's yeah. a great song Yeah. but that's how I got into because when I was young I would read like I was I'd read Stephen King McMurtry. but I would always oh, dear, I love him so much It's a uh, uh, new album yeah I know today. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> looking fantastic. forward to that Here's
0: one of my favourite things that happened in my life was interviewing him because oh. I just over the phone because I just was so freaked out that he would be a hard subject to click yes. with and and you know how do you do it all and and also phoner so yeah. short amount of time and I was on holiday in the sounds and so I had to Sit on the end of a jetty, yeah. yeah, yeah, to get to get coverage, and I had this great chat to him, and oh. he was really happy to talk about his dad, and you know, which you think sometimes with people like that, they don't want to do that. Yeah, can we talk person. about me,
1: not my incredibly famous yeah. Pulitzer Prize-winning yeah. dad? Yeah, but it's
0: like he just knows that's part of the scene, so it was cool.
1: I was, I just, it was one of those. Um, now, my brother, it might have been my brother actually, because he would occasionally sort of present me with albums that just became my lifelong mm. favourites, and I think. He gave me Too Long in the Wasteland. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, because like David and I have reasonably, we have, you know, the Venn diagram of our tastes where we sort of, was quite small. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, And, uh, but James and Murtry is one of them where we totally connect in that album again you know he's I mean, an amazing he's a, he's, storyteller I was just gonna
0: say he's a short he's one yep. of those people and there are a few of them and I, you know Willie Vlauton has been like that who's of course has moved into writing novels but, yeah but they are short story writers Absolutely. That, and I sort of think Don McGlashan is a short story yeah writer, yeah
1: totally you know, yeah.
0: and maybe with him it would actually never work without the music because it's probably how his brain works but I almost think like we could have a book of short stories by Don McGlashan or prose poems and they would I be I think
1: that's right
0: they'd be great
1: because it's the same, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, I mean, I know you love Kate Bosch and yeah. I love Kate Bosch. But yeah, yeah. one of that is the interesting weirdness of the stories that she's telling. You know, I've got
0: this, I've got oh, yeah. a couple of bookmarks and, yeah. I, and, that's, and that's one of them. And even though it's right near the start of this book, I had to. I d- I wanted to reference this. And it's it's funny, so there's all sorts of um, reasons to bring this up. And you just mentioned then that, that Venn diagram yeah. of you with your husband's um, music tastes. And so you say here at the start of this book... Kate Bosch, Tom thought Kate had been designed by a committee formed exclusively for the purpose of frightening small children. Uh, his evidence was her mad cat lady's hair in the opening note of Wuthering Heights, which had been known to resurrect dead people. Yes. And I, I just thought that <laughs> super funny, but also, like, I just love that as that moment between that argument between yes. couples, the difference of, but you sort of accept those things in each other. But also, what you're doing there and you do throughout these books is you use. Like I know you love music, but you yes. use music in a really funny, clever way to introduce something about a character. Because people get those references even if they don't. I mean, you explain enough about yeah. Kate Bush there yeah. that a person reading that who had never heard of her gets what that, which seems oh, unlikely. Is that no, that's right. That seems really unlikely. But if they hadn't, yeah. they get what you you know you've you haven't overexplained it, but you've given them enough information. Yeah,
1: know. I love. Like I honestly love, and I think music is. I mean, when I'm building characters, I will have a good sense of what music they yeah, listen to. And right. one of the running running gags that I have in the Gabriel's Bay series yeah. is that there's a pirate radio station, yes. supposedly, who's playing kind of like terrible hits of the yeah, 80s, yeah, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. that I kind of love, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, again, it's, like,
0: it's right time, right place. Yeah. And, and, and when they're lined up against something. yeah, you know, Like the only, I think, Thing that's wrong in this world would be too many Doctor Hook songs in a row because they're so rapey, but but I know. you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah same but but except
1: you, for cover of the Rolling Stones, yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but you know like it's because you in Gabriel's Bay there's yes. um, that great reference to the hearing aqualung and i think led zeppelin and and going you know this is gonna be great because of these songs and again it's like you those three songs
1: that's listening to child yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> those three
0: songs tell you enough about yeah what's going on but then also and i thought this would be the case i was like why have you what you know apart from them being a good fit why have you chosen those but then when, before we hit record yeah somehow it came up that you're like oh you know, I love Aqualung by Jethro Tull but I don't like much else. And so
1: I do. Yeah. And again that was another one of my brothers' yeah. you know, introductions. Um, although I did know this guy at university whose dad was obsessed with Jethro Tull. Um, and at that stage all I knew was kind of um, oh living in the you know, Living, living in, in the, the past, past yeah. and locomotive breath, which yeah. are kind of the two songs yeah, that yeah, I knew. The, the hits. The hits. And which are great. Yeah, which yeah. are great, but yeah. I hadn't, you know, and then I think my brother gave me Aquiline and said, I think you'll like this. And I went, oh, I just, I love this so much. In fact, one of my Aquiline regrets is that I, when we're living in Britain and I had just bought it on CD because I think I'd, like, yeah, mm. my brother had given it to me on tape, or mm. no, on vinyl, actually, yeah, yeah. on vinyl, which was no use to me because I didn't have a record player at that stage. And I thought, I want to listen to Aquiline again. And the local library had... Tone, fantastic CD collection so I was borrowing CDs as well as Terry Pratchett books and I got Aqualung and there was a in Reading which was not too far away from where we were there was kind of like an Armageddon type um, expo thing mm. happening over the weekend and Paul Darrow who plays Avon and Blake Seven who was, which is one of my mm. all time favourite children's sons, was going to be guest starring mm. and I went I really need to go see this but I was in the garden and I was listening to the whole of Aqualung and I realised, oh, it's too late to go now. I won't go. <laughs> I never got to meet him. He's dead now. Mm. I think, okay, it was mm. all right. I loved that. It was like a Sunday, you know, Saturday afternoon was something listening to Aqualung and it was like perfect, so there you
0: go. But actually, um, I mean, I don't know enough about Terry Pratchett, but your mention of him and I know you're a fan and yeah. you've got the books there, but I guess he's another writer that juggles a lot of characters. He a, does. As well as worlds. Yes. And builds worlds, but juggles a lot of characters. And, and he's also, that.
1: yeah, he's excellent at distinguishing them. And I think yeah. when, I, when I write, you know, for me, it's... I mean, you, I mean, I think a lot of writers are introverts. Yeah. But for me, getting inside a character and being able to inhabit a character is a marvellous form of, I don't know, it's not quite therapy, but it'll release or something. So the characters in there that I can you know, be part of their quirks without worrying about people judging me or I can have them say things that I would never yeah, say or yeah. be the kind of person that I'm just not is a glorious thing to be able to inhabit. And I think, mm. I feel the you know, that Terry Pratchett very much inhabits the characters that he, he loves. And as the books go on, he, you know, quite often, say, for instance, I'm very fond of the series with the main characters called Moist von Lipwig, which is great. Uh, but in the very first book, he, Moist is sort of, he just, he grows as a character where you, he's sort of just a, just a terrible con man. Mm. Um, and then you sort of understand him better and you're totally engaged with him. And in the next couple of books, he's the hero, mm. you know, mm-hmm. even though he's still got these terrible dodgy kind of sort of tendencies, he's still a hero because I feel that Terry Pratchett... Grew him to the point where he fell in love with Moist von Litvig, and so we can as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I mean, because when you get to, you do this Gabriel's Bay, yeah. you create this world, mm. this place, which is anywhere in New Zealand and everywhere in New Zealand. And yeah. It's its own fictional entity, but it is. people will, I mean, you say this in the intro to one of them, but you people will spot where it is and wherever they think it is is correct. Basically. Exactly, but by the time of the second book in that series, you've you know you've got this lengthy list of characters, and I was like, you know, again, I would look at that sometimes and go, well, that's kind of intimidating. A lot. I mean, I'd already read the other one, so oh, yeah. I was introduced to many characters. But when you look at it on paper like that, you go, man, that's a lot. But you they they just seamlessly come in and out of this out of this thing the way characters come in and out of our lives well that's the idea is that you
1: don't i mean some of them are walk-ons
0: and some of them are more significant yeah
1: yeah yeah and i think though i always try to make the walk-ons as rounded and as real as i can possibly make them as well because Mm. i mean even if it's a walk-on it's still got a role in the story yes so you need to make them and also i never know with like a book like that where i'm sort of Writing a series, I, I might want to use them again, and I have done yeah, yeah. like walk-on characters and turned them into. But it's that Shakespearean, it's
0: that Shakespearean full thing too, yes. isn't it? Of yes. like they 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 present as being mildly humorous, yes. But they either move things along or they have a wisdom, yes. To, you know something hinges on there,
1: or they may become they come yes, forward, yes, or, uh, or you know, it's a dot dot dot, like, yes.
0: You know when are they coming back? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and all of that sort of thing.
1: So I always want to make that. But so what's the
0: sort of, you know, I mean, uh, how big is the kind of storyboarding process for this stuff? Like, how oh. do you, you know, you talk about, like, thinking of music and, and you know, building characters that way, like, emotionally, uh, as well as ha- eventually having a picture of them. But are you talking, like, folders of... I'd, or uh, big spreadsheets or...
1: <laughs> oh, God. Well, I mean, the plotting for these was the thing that drove me mad mm. because I'm not a natural plotter. My brain is not good at holding, like, a really big cast or storyline in my head I can't do it yeah. uh, so what I did for the first one for Gabriel's Bay which made the next two a bit easier to mm. figure out is I realised I so I can follow that sort of you know the, um, the film script kind of guy which they call yes. the three act structure which yeah. kind of in each act kind of divides into two so it's effectively mm. like six acts mm. and there's kind of a proportion of the time they should take and how the arc builds etc right to sort of you know climactic scene and then the denouement. Mm. Um, so I figured that I would have six characters, and each of those characters would have six six chapters, which gave me that six act kind of mm. outline. Mm. Um, so I, I effectively wrote each character story. I had a theme for each book. Um, see, my brilliant idea at the beginning was to make because I, when I, I when I first thought about it, I envisaged them as a trio, and I wanted to call them all after one word New Zealand songs that would encapsulate the theme. So the first mm. one. Which ended up being Gabriel's Bay was going to be called Loyal, mm. um, and the, the, what you wish for was going to be called Nature, um, and so I got Spellbound, which is the third one. Mm, I got mm, that one, mm. but the other two I was denied by mm. the publishing committee, uh, which is a shame. Mm. So because they were the themes of the book, and yeah. it was in New Zealand, still think it's a really good idea. Yeah, um, but uh, so I knew I had a theme, so all my characters were going to somehow explore this theme. And so I figured out their relationship to each other, I figured out what was going on for each of them within that theme, and then I sort of built the story up from that, it's kind of like you start from this nugget and kind of, you know, build it outwards, ripple it outwards, and then I had six characters with six aspects, you know, sort of chapters to their story, so I wrote those out on post-it notes, so I had 36 post-it notes. And I basically just put them on a, on a mm. big piece of paper, yeah. move them around until I kind of felt I had an order. And that's how I started. But then I always find I get to about like 30% and go, oh, oh I that's not working. And you have to redo it <laughs> and sort of re- refine it. And I'd probably do that maybe twice and just refine it. And usually I'd, by that stage, I'd just draw it in a notebook and kind of just figure out what, it, what was happening mm. from then on. Because also for me, it's like I have a sort of sense of, like, I have a sense of what the story arc is, or what are the big things that are going to happen, and I kind of know that, but I don't necessarily know all the details of how I'm going to get from this point to that point. So, and then so you have to refine, because then I'm, you know, as I'm making that up and filling that in, I get to a point where I go, well, that plan's no longer working. Mm-hmm. I have to change that to adapt to what I've written. Because um, I'm not one of these writers that can just write a scene here or write a it there yeah, or, and yeah. then just pull it all together yeah. so I'd, I'd can't even. No,
0: I don't understand how No, that
1: works. and so I have to start from the beginning and go on till I get to the end, as yeah. they say.
0: And yeah, I mean, I've never written a novel. I don't imagine I will, but if I did, I I, I already know that's how I would yep. do it. I yep. would write a novel the way I'd read a novel. I, <laughs> yeah, page exactly. one to page whatever is yep. the order I'd write it in. I, um, I, yeah, I, and I'm amazed by how... But, you know, it's so funny, this stuff, because, I mean, Katie will hate me for outing this, but her book... Um, the linoleum room went through. Um, I think about four of us read it, and then um, right near the end of the editing process with Penguin, uh, with Random House, they um, sort of said, "Oh, you know, there's a character in it that changes name at the end, and it wasn't like in a David Lynch." You know, you'll never understand this, but it's planned way. It yes. was just like a guy who had a name suddenly was going by another name very near the end of the book. And it sounds so comical, but stuff like that happens, right? Which, again, to your very early point of the importance of good editing, oh. it's an editor that spotted that. Um,
1: well, I had a proofreader once spot something <laughs> which said um, my two characters stopped holding hands. And she said, when did they start? Yeah, And I went drafts ago i just had taken <laughs> yeah, that out yeah. and then they stopped holding hands when
0: they went in the first place so i mean <laughs> thank you good spotting excellent yeah yeah um there was this bit in here that i also wanted to um mention because i thought it was funny because I, I mean i'm not as i say i, I don't read a lot of the writers that this uh references or that um you know it, or for example i don't know how you feel about this but the cover tells me that it's sophie kinsella meets joanna trollope and i'm That is the weirdest, weirdest (laughs) combination. Because you
1: basically took women's commercial fiction. That's
0: what I figured. Joanna
1: Troll up one end. So if you can sell her, down another.
0: So it's just lazy marketing.
1: I was very perplexed by that particular thing. I mean, I know
0: those names from working in bookstores and that's it. You know, that's what I mean. But you have this bit here where you kind of start talking about um, Jilly Cooper's woman. Yes. And you do know who Jilly Cooper is, don't you? And you talk about that. So you were having a lot of fun with... um, I don't know, not mocking the uh, world, but just have, just poking at it, that the, the world that this book is basically set in, the audience yeah. that this will appeal that has been written for are gently being you know poked in the way where they should recognize themselves and have a little laugh, right?
1: Well, I think it's also part of it's definitely that, but it's also part of me being, I think, just such a magpie. Yeah, and wanting to throw because that's the very first book thing is to throw and yes. throw everything, everything that you it. love. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And and because I was thinking I'm writing, you know, I mean Jilly Cooper basically, A is unreadable now, but also became unreadable after about her Maybe I could stretch it to the fourth. Book. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I still have them. There's a whole collection yeah. of Jilly Cooper, so they're all faded, but they're just. The later ones are just so so bad. I can't even I'm not gonna read anymore. <laughs> I mean she's in her eighties, so yeah. probably the chances are slim. Yeah. But I but this is what formed my love of kind of romantic comedy, of mm. humour and and the kind of books that I read when I was in my teens and what I mm. took out of them. Um, probably nothing good in the jelly Cooper sense, but the um, <laughs> but and ability all, to write a massive yeah, cast and yeah. just, you know, I think she And to keep it moving. Keep it moving. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and she does, you know, and her hero, anti-hero, Rupert Campbell Black, is one of the most compelling characters in fiction. Right. So she, she did that very, very well. And, yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of making a bit of a, you know...
0: Yeah. But it's, an aware, it's a nice... Um, I saw it too as a, a nice level of awareness from yeah. you of, you know, these are the influences, these are the things, yeah. but also this is how silly they can be. And, and you know and, you and, I'm, not, enjoy and I'm not Sally. above that yeah, can, yeah exactly I'm yeah. not above that I'm no. not here to judge no I'm having a, a a fun little observation around it and and I'm part of the club because you're you're the only reason you're reading this is because I wrote it so it's,
1: extre- it's yeah. exactly right yeah and, and I think you know there's much to I mean Bridget Jones Diary is a comedy classic mm. um I don't... The other two are not so great, but the first one is is a genius work. (laughs) But it... However, what it did was it really cemented this kind of idea of chicklet. Yes, yes. And the definition of chicklet and the expectations became so narrow Mm. that if I had really understood that when I wrote that book, I wouldn't perhaps have gone down that track.
0: So, yeah, Bridget Jones's diary is going to be in my... I'm building a list of things. Eddie Vedder is the first thing in my list. They are... Things that are themselves are good, but everything that they went on to influence is fucking horrific. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, and so Eddie, <laughs> Poor Vedder, Eddie Vedder. I, I know. think it's the same thing. I it do. is, and yeah. there was someone else. There's something else I had um, in that in that list.
1: It's like I really love Dave yeah. Roll as a human, yes, but yes. I just can't deal with the Foo Fighters. Yes, I can't no, no, deal with exactly. That they kind of do. Totally. Just, I'm so full. So, so but like
0: I, I liked Pearl Jam for a tiny bit. And then I didn't, and I don't like anything that they've influenced, and particularly him. But when I was in um, Seattle about five years ago, um, I went to Sting and Peter Gabriel, which was uh, together on stage, which was incredible. Amazing. And about six songs into it, this person leapt up on the stage, and it looked like it was someone rushing the stage, and it was Eddie Vedder, and he sang Red Rain with the band, and it's a little pantomime thing he does because he's a Seattle local, and he yeah. and apparently he goes down and says, you know, if I can join the thing, I'd like to run on from the front. I don't want to be introduced, so he makes it look like he's a fan because he yes. is a massive fanboy, and that was my only time ever hearing him perform live, and it was fucking incredible. Like his, his voice, voice would is be
1: perfect Elvis. for Red Rage. That's right, yeah. and it
0: was nuts how good it yeah. was. And I remember one of my one of my friends who always hated Pearl Jam when we grew up and liked it, and he was way too cool. You know, he was into the clean and oh, yeah. uh, and stuff like that. So he, he, he could handle Nirvana, but he thought, almost anything else that came out of that era was fucking stupid and he worked on the first seven worlds collide show filming it and when neil finn brought even over and he said eddie Vedder was absolutely spellbinding like hearing yeah. him sing stuff and nonsense was like i was just about in tears and he's like i don't particularly love split ends and i fucking hate pill jam but that was a eureka moment
1: i actually the cd that is in my very ancient cd player is mm. seven worlds collide yeah it's funny you should say that yeah and That is the only thing of Eddie Vedder that I actually like. And he seems like such a good bloke as well. Yeah, yeah. I found that CD when we were living in the little British town where we lived for about 10 months. And I just went, oh. And I felt really bad because it seemed like it had been such an amazing concert and I wasn't in New Mm. Zealand to go to it. And it just, Yeah. So I get that out. It's one of my favourites, actually. I but I, I cut
0: you off. But I was no, just so excited. So I was just so excited by you mentioning Bridget Jones because now I've forgotten the second thing on my list. But I've been building this list of things that it's like actually on their own they yep. are perfect. But everything that they went on to influence is bad.
1: Well, it's a and, little like if you take say. And the
0: second Bridget Jones book is shit.
1: It's and the third one's even worse. I did, yeah,
0: I didn't bother, but no. but I loved that first book. It is it
1: is a comedy classic. It It is is a thing of genius. Yeah, Yeah,
0: the the timing, the pacing, the the whole thing. Anyone who says that you know, anyone who says they don't like it is just being too cool for school It's a solid work.
1: It is a very solid work. And I think, you know, I always I suppose I've always considered myself like a student of humour. So Mm, one of mm. my it's almost dying now is I have the Oxford Book of Humorous Prose, which came out in oh god, I don't know, eighties I think, Mm. and it was edited by the late Frank Muir. And, yeah, there are lots of things in there that are deeply unfunny um, because he takes it right back from, I think, Caxton, you know, Mm -hmm. William Caxton right through, and he ends on PG Woodhouse. But Mm. there are some really good things in there. And, and, I mean, you know, I mean, humour evolves all the time. Um, But I like to think that when I can spot a, a work that is genuinely funny, Mm. that I will, you know, that I will just go, oh, I love this. It's like mm. less, when less came into my life, I was thinking, oh, won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, is it going to be any good? And then I started, I went, oh, my God, this is one of the best and funniest books that, mm. I've, that mm. I've read in a long time. And mm. just then you just want to tell everybody how good it is. And But, yeah, no, that's a really good, that's a good thing. Maybe Led Zeppelin, um Influencing mm. some of the shittiest metal yeah, bands, yeah. you know, because yeah, they're, well, they're basically well, the Genesis well, of metal bands.
0: Well, Faith No More, yeah, um, basically, uh, to blame for new metal, which is fucking awful, and but everything. But Faith, Faith No More are amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. So true, and you know, like, so there are these things that happen, makes you realise you can't, yeah. And I, I sort of, sort of connected to that. I sort of realised a few years ago that when you think you don't like a band. Um, that you used to like, often what you're reacting to is you don't really like its fans, just because they take it to something. And I, you know, the great example for that I think is Radiohead. Like, and when I went back and listened to the music again, it's like actually there's nothing wrong with any of this music. Why do no, I think really? I didn't like it? Oh, it's just over the top Radiohead fans with no balance who think that they, you know, this is everything the greatest is, band like, and, and yeah. exactly, and everything is on this high level. It's like no, nah, they're just a band. Yeah as the, as the um, Scrooby, as Pip song says. They're just a band. But, yeah, it's like the fans can actually ruin well, stuff, you, which is a fan's job. It's the fanatical, that's the that's role. That's true, and,
1: but it is a bit like, you know, like I'm a bit allergic to when the the newest, greatest book comes out and everybody mm, goes, the newest, mm. greatest, and I'm going, well, I won't be reading that for a that's while. That's right. And then which sometimes is so, it's, a, it's, you know, irrational. It's irrational.
0: But it's funny, because I was, I was working out how to ask you this, because I was going to say, like, you... You don't have, I mean, I'm looking at these books and you, you've got taste, but you're not a snob. But what you just said then is such a classic, what someone would say is a snob, then we all have that.
1: No, it's more like, I don't think it's a snob thing because it's more like, uh, do I want to rush to be on a bandwagon? No, totally. Do I want to
0: sort of... But that's that's a version of, that's part of being a snob. It's that cultural elitist of like, I'll discover that for myself. I won't be led there and just go with the flock. I'll, I'll 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 get think to that for in my myself, I'll get to that in my own time. <laughs> I think that's
1: probably right, and I've actually become a lot um, more open to when new things come yeah. up because I think also, you know, I'm getting recommendations from people whose taste I totally trust, and yeah, I go, yeah. if you like this book, I'm totally going to like this yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I try and push myself to read things that I wouldn't. Maybe normally read um, because I am a bit of a you know I get in a groove and I'm quite happy to stay in it. Um, so I'm trying to expand out and um, read sort of. But I think that's one of the joys. Is sort of you know I had an argument with a woman on it was on actually on Goodreads a Goodreads group and she was obsessed with wanting to call literature you know literary fiction pretentious mm. and boring because she wrote in commercial fiction sort of like fairly mm. sort of self self published I think. Mm commercial fiction and she was saying oh we don't get any love and we don't you know the, the, these all these snobs and things like that and I was going but I love literary fiction yeah I love I don't love all of it yeah 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 but I said why you know mushing your you know sort of like sort of um, what's the word basically like putting down demeaning another mm. genre it's not going to elevate yours
2: yes it just means yeah, that yeah. you're
1: missing out potentially on a whole bunch yeah. of things that you're really going to like yeah and yeah so yeah I just I mean I'm not i like to read right across the board. Yeah. I think, I mean, I probably there are things that I enjoy more than others, and I definitely love books that are more, I suppose, compassionate with their characters, um, like the, like a preview copy of the new Jonathan Franzen has come across my desk, mm. and I'm kind of going, I've never read Jonathan Franzen. Right.
0: I've only read his non-fiction.
1: right. So I've got no real... You can't guide me on this I one. I can't guide no. you on that one. I've not read the, you know, and I but feel I like feel, I should have read them. But I, I just do totally feel like I should actually just give it a go. I like the essays Because Jonathan Franzen being a dick doesn't yeah. mean that he's necessarily a dick with his writing. But it's so. like it's a
0: hard time sometimes to yeah. get into people like that, right? Like, yeah, I feel like I've missed the train because I really mm. like the non-fiction that I've read there, particularly the first book of essays, which yeah. is quite old. I loved that. Great, yeah. Um, I think it's called How to Be Alone. Oh, yes, yeah, yes, yes. I yes. really yeah. like that and uh,
1: well it's like reading David yeah. Foster Wallace yes. you know I did because mm. I remember Pip like I've known Pip, Pip Adam for years and she mm. was a big fan of David Foster Wallace so mm. I sat down one you know summer and mm. went through Infinite Jest yeah, and I, I thought it was ext- way, but well but it's just massive yeah and it's yeah. got a hundred pages of footnotes, but yeah. it's the only book that i have ever used two bookmarks on because yeah. you can't, can't deal with it. You can't it. go yeah. on
0: yes, without, without having
1: read the footnotes. Yeah. So That's you what have puts to go back and it. do it.
0: But I love yeah. his short stories. Yeah. And again, I mean I know what a deeply problematic character he is now yes. to recommend to people, but I'm glad I read that stuff when I did twenty years ago. And the essays. Because the yeah, and the essays are amazing. Yeah. And and in fact the first thing I think the first book he published is a book about rap music. Like signifying rappers, he co wrote, and I'm sure that's before he published anything else. And that sounds, that's actually that rings the bell. That's not even essays, that's a book of music journalism. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I've got that and love that as well. I mean, again, it's talking about rap music in 1989, so it's, it's hideously out of date almost on impact but yes. it's a fascinating thing to go back and look at to yeah, see how yeah, it was yeah. you know it's like reading um, Nick Kahn's book of rock and roll stuff from the 60s it's, it's wild and fun you've just got to remember it's That's out of it was date like. on purpose yeah exactly yeah, 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 yeah. exactly yeah but yeah. um but Girl with the Curious yeah. Hair is an amazing book yeah. of short stories and, and Brief Interviews with Hideous Men has got yeah, some incredible yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. too. Yeah,
1: I've, I've read, I haven't, don't own them, but I've read that yeah. one. I haven't read the first one, I've yeah. read through that. Girl with the Curious
0: Hair has got a couple yeah. of stories in it that just just to think about them blows yes. my mind how how he came up with them and how accurate they are. There's one that is a an appearance on Letterman right basically and the person being spoken to in their earpiece by the producer and it's just like it's so perfect and it makes you feel like it's documentary footage yeah and then there's this other great one i think it's the title story yeah the girl with the curious hair is about these people take basically taking acid and going to a keith jarrett concert and then getting fixated on the hair of the person in front of them and stuff it's just i mean there's so much more to it but it's just that's just a perfect setup for a like i want to I want to be into this. I want to be. In well, this I, thing.
1: I, I mean, enjoyed is a hard word yeah. to say for Infinite Jest because it's yeah. got some really gruelling bits in yeah. it. But I honestly, I thought it was an extraordinary book. Bit of a work of
0: genius, like yeah.
1: That. And like, trying you can to
0: admire. Enter. I think it's important to still try and understand. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. This is not a plug to go and read Mein Kampf, but I think, yeah. like you know, to try and understand those significant works of genius that have maybe come from a difficult person or a deeply yes. problematic person, that that is the argument for separating the art from the person, isn't it? To find the 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 single great thing they might have done, and or
1: even to understand its influence. You know, to look it. at it as a historical. Record of some sort, and I think you well, know, Infinite got,
0: Jest is probably the, yeah. the probably the anti-Bridget Jones. It's like actually, its influence might even be more important than it itself.
1: It could well be, yeah. And I, you know, and look, that's just yes, yes, and it's hard. I mean, you know, I'm, there are authors in here. Have I looked through mm. this? And I went sort of, you know, it's even like Jilly Cooper because I was reading those and the. What early eighties, when mm. I was probably like fourteen or something. I started mm. reading reading her, and I mean, they're just unbearable now <laughs> yeah, to yeah. go back and read. Yeah, they're yeah classist, they're ageist, they're sexist, they're yeah. body shaming. They're just appalling. Well, a lot in of parents, so many ways. A lot of
0: parents they? of my age know the difficulty of reading a Raoul Dahl book to yeah. their child, and yeah. how quickly you have to think on your feet and skip several words and put. Put new ones in place because we because we love these books as yes. many people did. Well, even going know?
1: back over Diana and Jones, you yeah. know, there are things that I sort of go, Ooh, yeah. you know, you wouldn't do that now, and this is a good thing that you wouldn't do it now. Yeah. I suppose to be able to go back over things and look at them with the the eye of like like a it's not really a, like a historian or an anthropologist or mm. a, you know a social scientist or somebody to understand the context in which they were written mm. and. To have that view of their significance at the time and understand that mm. is it adds a lot to the experience of reading it. I feel.
0: Mm. So but let's go. Let's go. Hard. Let's go back a bit into your publishing timeline. Yeah. So you you put this first book out in twenty eleven, mm. and and then you follow it up with a couple. Yes. And then what happens? Like because uh, there's a pause before you kind of reinvent. Not yourself, but you reinvent your publishing, I think, through the Gabriel's Bay journey.
1: Yeah, and there's a book in between. But, yes. Um, but, uh, well, what happened is, of course, it was almost what I was saying about um, if I'd known about what the expectations were mm. on Chicklet, mm. I would have realised that that was not the genre that I was going to be successful in. Because that book, The Sweet Second Life of and Kincaid, is a, is a perfect chiclet book. It fits mm, all the criteria. Mm, mm. Um, and it was the most popular by far. But then I instantly went into writing a book that follows on from it and takes one of the characters from it. And I had two quite s- strong and unfiltered and quite demanding female characters in the second book. Um, which I've actually, like, in my rewrite of it, I have... Toned them down a little bit. I did even going back, I went, oh, yeah, no, I can see why it was a bit full on. Um, And that instantly got, you know, that got, The Sweet Second Life got really good reviews. Everybody Mm. loved it. The second book came out and all the shitty reviews came in. Some people loved it, Mm, mm. but I got this one hilarious from a woman I sort of imagined to be of a certain age living in Whangarei, actually, and um, she called it a piece of tosh. And she said, oh, these women, you know, they they drink and they swear and they go their own way without any sort of like care for anybody and all that sort of stuff. And I was going, yeah, kind of the point, Mm. you know, Mm. but it was so interesting that people were, Chicklin readers wanted their characters to be nice. Mm. They wanted their characters to be relatable. Mm. And I had created two female characters who just were very hard to like. And, I mean, I thought they were great, mm. you know, I thought they were fascinating to read about, um, and their personalities were an asset and, you know, and working against them, which is mm. the whole thing I was trying yeah. to explore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I wrote the third book, which was, again, a slightly po- problematic, but I thought, awesome female character, but she ends up um, falling in love with her boss, um, who's one of the regular characters, uh, and then organizing you know machinating this huge trip to Italy where she can look after his kids, his, his child and some other kids and stuff like that and so that she can kind of inveigle herself into his affections and the German publisher who'd loved the first two books um, wouldn't take it because the way that their genre is fit um, she couldn't possibly have a book about a woman breaking up a marriage. So there was a moralistic kind mm. of like limitation to this mm. and I think when I read that written, I'd written that last book, which i really liked, and it's still funny, and it's still good, is I went, I can't write in this genre anymore, I can't do it, what can I do, mm. you know, because I'm failing, and you know, the publishers are not getting their return out of me, Yeah. Et cetera, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought, right, I'll write, write a woman's fiction book, and so I wrote a book called The Hiding Places, which I still think is actually really kind of awesome, but... I think because I didn't have a track record in that kind of book, you know, you just throw a book like that out and it doesn't really stick. Mm. And because I didn't get an overseas contract for it, um, I did in, where did I get? Oh, yeah, in France. Yeah, yeah, in mm. France. Um, but I didn't, it, it just didn't stick in New Zealand. Again, I get, I get all these amazing reviews, but it just didn't stick. And also it was printed on a really, really shitty paper, so that didn't help. Um, but then I ended up doing the MA.
0: Mm. So how did yeah. that? I mean, how did that come about? That came like, about because what made you want to do that?
1: That came about because Emily Perkins, um, who was teaching it at the time, uh, asked if I'd be an external examiner on one of their manuscripts, oh, okay. and the manuscript was a commercial fiction manuscript, um, and it was by Brandy Scott, who went on to publish a very good commercial fiction book called um, "Not Bad People," which has like been optioned for a TV series and everything. Mm. And I read this, and I went this Is commercial fiction. I didn't, I always thought the IML was like only for yeah, very yeah. literary, yeah, yeah, types. yeah.
0: That's the um, I accepted idea of yeah, ex- it, that's yeah, right. and right. then that's the criticism as well as the um, aspiration, it's yeah, both. <laughs> but it's yeah. not, it's not the reality. Yeah. And I
1: just went, oh god, and then I suddenly thought, oh my god, I've been beavering away for like however many years, yeah, completely on my own. I don't have a writing network, I don't have a writers group. You know, I mean, I've got mates with a bunch of the romance writers, but it's I'm, we're still writing different things. Mm. And I thought, oh, my God, I'd love to do this. And I emailed Emily and I said, is it too late for me to apply? Can I apply? And she said, I'd love you to apply, but you have three days. And so I put my application together. Like, yeah. instantly And did not take it for granted that I would get in, but I did, which was fair. Mm. Um, and that was, that was huge for me because it did mm. give me a writing group. It did... Give me the confidence to understand what kind of writer I was.
0: Yeah, it must have been, I was going to say, like for you, I feel like more than anyone else I've talked to that's been through the IIML, which is quite a few people actually Mm. across the years, um, uh, it would have been a validation too because I think because you were coming at it from arguably a different angle. The, I think I the wanted most of the people.
1: Yeah, I wanted, you know, because everybody said, Oh, you've been published, why are you bothering yeah. to do it? And I was Th- going, Well, I mean, what I anybody mean, with though. an odour of imagination could see why you would want to do it. Mm. You know, and I would say, I want community, I want feedback on my work, I want to understand what yeah. I'm capable of, I want to try and push something in a new direction. Mm. So I was probably one of the only students who went into it not wanting this thing particularly to get published. I didn't care. Yeah, yeah, that that might happen, but that wasn't the... And it probably won't happen because I'm going to write it and I want to experiment with a completely different format that I would never write before. And I wrote the first ever book, if you can call it that, which was I Wrote in Bits. Yeah. I Wrote in Bits and I assembled it at the end. Okay. And so it is this weird kind of collage of some of it is factual, some of it is completely made up, and... So it's a weird piece of work. I mean, it had a theme and it has an arc and everything. Fergus really liked it. Your Fergus yeah. Berman from PUP. Yeah. Mm. But I did send it to Harriet, even though I, you know, knew she would hate it. My editor at mm. Penguin Random House. She went, I hate it. I went, I knew you would. <laughs> so, so yeah, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but just in so case, just in case, yeah. But I just. But knew. it's also a
0: courtesy yeah. sort of thing, isn't it? Too of a, This is where my head's at. This is what I'm up to.
1: It was more like just say, like, hey, this is what I did.
0: If you yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and and also, you know, I, in a way, permission for this to go elsewhere. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't own me, but also like as a courtesy of our relationship. You, yeah, you, you and I have, just... I you just, can have your eyes on it and maybe you will like it.
1: I did just hang on to it because I will turn that... I mean, a lot of it was about my family and mm. my family's weird association with moral rearmament and the effect it had on my family and I... And I will write about that sometime, but I just had to work my way up to it. Mm. It's quite a big thing to write about your own family. Yeah, Um, it is. As one who has just recently read the Mirror book, um, which I bloody loved. (laughs) Did you? Yeah, I did. Did you? I did. Yeah. But I think I'm looking at it from the lens of somebody forensically investigating the experience of being in a family with a certain dynamic. I mean, I didn't
0: hate it. I'm glad I read it. Yeah. But I am a little baffled by... The overwhelmingly positive reviews, which I imagine are just people scared of Charlotte. That's my that's my feeling.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that I mean, for me, having you know, I've met Charlotte and and we did an event together, and it was really interesting to look at that book and see where she was at her time Mm. in life, you Mm. know, and she was obviously researching that book, Um, and so the conversations we had. In retrospect, now made a you know, there was a whole other layer of um significance to them, and but I, you know, I'm very interested in how in people's experiences of family, yeah. And I, so for me, it was, it yeah, was yeah. Oh, I think I mean, I, like, yeah. I liked it, and
0: I'm in the, in the sense I'm really glad I read it, and there was mm. some interesting stuff in it. I feel like there's the, the two things that stick with me about it that feel particularly uncomfortable. As uh, I really feel like she threw her siblings under the bus mm. for no real reason at all. Mm. And we're not given enough understanding of why. Mm. And then she went on national radio and basically talked about how she hoped her parents would like the book because yeah, she saw it as a loving tribute to yes, them. And I, know. I thought, in yeah. no one's world is, is this what this is. But isn't that
1: fascinating,
0: though? That, that is, that, absolutely, totally. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I think my... Um, you know, mouth was on the floor listening yeah. to that because I'd re- I'd finished the book, yeah. and um, and I did I did enjoy I did enjoy the book. I mean, I, I read through it very quickly, so that's a sign of enjoying something on the, on some level. Like I stuck with it. I tend to nose in and out of books a lot more now, which I, don't, I read which it. I don't like doing. Impulsively, about, I yeah. put it. I you no, know, I feel the same way. I'm I,
1: not put down.
0: Totally. I mean, it was. Um, in the, in the right way, it was non-fiction, if you like, reading like fiction, in, yes. that, in that it was storytelling on such a level, you wanted to know what was going to come up next. Yes, you did. It yes. was, you know, so but totally... I, did,
1: I was talking to somebody else who'd also read it, and I said, look, I think for me, it was like somebody getting to the point of going, investigating their life to test it, you know, to test its validity, mm. test the validity of what had happened. Um, but had not got to the point yet of really understanding the significance of it, mm. you know I'm probably doing a complete disservice, mm-hmm. um, mm. but I felt like there was a whole other layer that could have gone on that should have gone on after this, which went this this is this is the effect of it, this is the true effect of it, and it was more like testing. Her, her sort of experience and the the story that was around that against the reality of what she felt had actually happened. So she'd looked back at what had happened but it still hadn't gone to that next layer of going holy shit, this is mm. like you know this is some of the psychological drivers or the effect on me that it had and it was like, yeah another round. She did threaten at um, the Auckland Writers' Festival, but if her family kept nagging her, she was going to write volume two. So mm. maybe I look forward to that one. I
0: just... The other thing I felt very um, strange about was, you know, I, I don't want to ever minimalise anyone else's trauma, which I can't fully know, but there was these descriptions of being, you know, in the 80s, say,
2: mm.
0: being, you know unhappy all through England and unhappy all through France and I was like who gets to go and do that I you know, know like yeah, that was yeah, the yeah, bit, that was know. the other bit where I was like I'm not saying horrible shit didn't happen to you yeah. and I'm pretty sure your dad's a jerk yeah um I think most people think that on some <laughs> level and again are a bit th- that know of yeah. him and are a bit scared to say it but Jesus fucking Christ like there was a lot of privilege in this situation and you don't need to be like you know, if you're being if you're being emotionally abused on some level, mm. you shouldn't then be grateful that you also got a trip to France. But there was no real awareness around the privilege, I think,
2: yeah, of yeah. that upbringing.
0: I was like, a lot of people get get kicked in the guts a lot more severely than this, and I found that quite interesting. That it was a, it was such a a hit mission to. Like the thing that people have really taken from it, which I think is a powerful thing to think about, was that the whole idea of who owns a story. Yes, like, yes, absolutely. But I also think somewhere so controls the who narrative, controls the narrative, yeah. but I think somewhere in there it became like a, a hit piece t- to you know.
1: But the thing is, as you say, from listening to that radio, she doesn't yeah. see it as that.
0: No, which is fascinating. So absolutely I do, that's the thing. Yeah. There's a whole lot yeah. around
1: here which I absolutely
0: find. Mm. But then, Very the, but then the threat of a second volume yes. is both not only commercially minded uh, <laughs> and 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 cynical and 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 oh, I think, cold. I think that was just it's a in cheek. Joke. No, no, I get yeah. that. But I also think I also think yeah. it's probably not quite fully tongue in cheek, you know. So I think, well, like that speaks to the sort of hit job mission of it too, doesn't it? Uh, but again, you know, her, her yeah. fucking father wrote three memoirs, so... Yes, I know. You know I and, know. And I can't imagine ever reading any of those. No, no. So, like, you no, know, get, fill, fill your boots and do what you like. You know, I'm not on a crusade against it. I found it... A, I think the fact that it's a book you can talk about... Yes. ...and I don't feel like I'm through talking about that book... No, is, I, is it, ...that alone no. makes it worthy.
1: I read... Um, I've been reading sort of non-fiction, but I read a book that I... I didn't think I would ever pick up, Um, but it's, uh, because it's by Oprah Winfrey, (laughs) and this guy called Dr. Bruce Perry, and it's Mm. just recently come out, Mm. and it's called What Happened to You? Mm. But somebody I very much respect said, no seriously, you should read this book. Mm. And it is the most amazing book I have ever read. Wow. Giving an insight into how your early experiences can shape the rest of your Mm. life. Mm. And from a neurological point of view. Yeah and i had so many moments where i was reading this book going oh fuck yeah. now i understand now i understand you know and my poor husband so who had a much tougher upbringing than i did i've made him you know but he's been listening to it on audio and i said how did you find it and he's just going you know mm. he's just like you know he said why have i got to this point in my life when why has it taken this long For these things to be able to sort of, you know, be able to work this shit out. And I Mm. said, well, it just does. That's Mm. what happens. But honestly, this book is called What Happened to You? Because they they want to take this view. um, So this guy, the psychologist, is, um, he has worked with trauma, tra- traumatized children. You know, he was working with the children from the Waco siege, mm. Um, one, the ones that abandoned Romanian orphans, orphanages. I mean, he's got a stellar track record in this, and he's a, he seems like a really good dude. Mm. Um, And he... So he has developed a whole kind of sequential model for understanding what goes on with the brain with trauma and how this manifests in behavior, etc., Um, and, but yeah, they, they talk you through it and it's just this point where you just go, it's just, yeah, okay. You understand my patterns of behavior were probably set way back and before I even Mm. knew I was a Mm. person, you know, and yeah, it's, it's been a fascinating book and I just wish it, you know, Oprah is
0: actually. She yeah, ex, I don't. She, I don't have a problem with.
1: No, her. she doesn't. No, I don't. Yes. Some people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's like, I, I feel think it's
0: unrealistic to uh, to just shit shame her for no. existing. Like I'm, um, you know, yeah, exactly. sure she's sure she's turned into a giant ham over the years because <laughs> that's the style of her <laughs> yeah. broadcasting. But there had yeah. to have been some ability for her to get anywhere near the platform she's, she's an created. So extraordinarily
1: intelligent. So woman, to and this comes yeah, out
0: it's so world. it's so belittling to go. Yeah. Um, she's lucky uh, she doesn't mean anything it's all you know yeah
1: it's all I, it's all manipulated I, I, and sort of insincere I, I, you
0: know? I, I believe that probably there is some insincerity and manipulation now but yeah. uh, on some level because she's a television maker yeah and so you need to level there that at the shows that you do like and the broadcasters you do think are good because they're involved in that too exactly you know yeah. John Campbell yes. knows how to emotionally manipulate his audience he yes. might I don't know him and I'm not speaking bad of him he's a pretty good broadcaster and by all accounts a nice person yeah. but he fucking knows what he's doing so does, he does. so does hillary barry and that's because they're good at it
1: that's exactly right and they yeah. built they built up that experience you know and, understanding and what, so works does, and, what doesn't. and so does and so
0: does kim hill and yep. we just about named everyone off rnz we right did. at the start they, they all did. you know all the good people doing anything like that there's a tennis match aspect to what they're doing yeah and the broadcasting is performative always and i think you know she's Pretty fucking, you know, Oprah's pretty fucking good at it.
1: She's extraordinarily good at it. But this book is, you know, she she brings a lot of depth and yeah. and in her own experiences to this. So I honestly think. I mean, she's yeah.
0: kind of lived her physically. She's kind and emotionally. She's kind of lived and outed her. You know, trauma, mm. um, worn it mm. for people to see. Yeah. Um, even in things like her weight fluctuation over yep. the years, far more visibly and, and for a lot of good doing that mm. than many other people.
1: She is, yeah, and I think that's one of their things yeah. that she's got to the point where she can be open about the struggles, etc. Yeah. And it's, yeah, she's very, uh, you know, I mean, as you say sort of you know what 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 we're hearing is not necessarily the whole truth yeah. but it sounds very
0: but also lady billionaires God. are a lot nicer than men billionaires she's <laughs> yes. not trying to go to the space. fucking space you know like she's actually trying to do something of good with a lot of this coin this is you know? true and
1: I do you know I've read a quite a few self-help books in my time mm. and I would rate this as being the most useful wow. and insightful book so, I've ever read
0: so um, I was working out how to bring this up but you know you're a reviewer as well yes. so you're a, and you're a um, a regular reviewer and in fact one of the other times that we have bumped into each other is almost literally going in and out of the and doors and of yeah. less so now because <laughs> you you're know. up here but but yeah we would I would often have to sneak in while you were still talking or just after yeah. you'd um spoken so you've been a book reviewer on Jesse's show
1: I have and you and also write for the listener yeah I'm yeah. Not doing less now yeah. um because yeah. I, I started off with the listener doing the fiction round yeah. up and that was originally under Guy Somerset, and I had to do five books in four weeks, which was, like, horrendous. Yeah. Um,
0: but it's interesting to me, like, the, the, you know, I've predominantly reviewed music, and the big thing that's always been thrown at me is, you're not a musician, um, we should get musicians to review music, which I think, you know, is fine and can happen, but it wouldn't be the best if it <clears throat> did happen, it no. can't be there. but. But it's different. there are different rules with book reviewing and reviewers of books often are writers of, even if they're not published in the book form, they're yeah. journalists, they're writers. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: And I don't know why that is and why that's okay and why that's necessary, but it's just how it is. I think probably it's writers are realistic about shitty pay and that's why they'll review books. Maybe that's part of, maybe that's <laughs> well, part yeah, of it. Well, yeah, it does And, like the, an and they're of, readers, because no, yeah. I've reviewed books and I like reviewing books, but it's yeah. a lot of work for... You know, no serious, if you, if you, no, no shekel, serious clout. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: know. Um, well, I think, I mean, the difficulty with having all the writers review books is that you can be afraid of offending yes. people, and also, you know, yeah, when well you that, feel like you're reviewing your friends. You're probably yes. coming at it with a bunch of biases.
0: And, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, you're going to if you like them and you like their work, then you're going to be nice about their books. And
0: yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, it I, is. I've I, I've only felt that once or twice. But you know, I consider Carl Shuker a friend, yeah. who I've known for a long time. And 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 we argue and tease each other and, and come at things from different angles. Yeah. Um, but I think he's an extraordinary writer and I thought a mistake was brilliant. But I had to write about it and then I've had to realise, well, if I don't out myself with this, someone's gonna say, Yeah, you're just you're reviewing a, you're your a mate's buddy. book. Yeah. But it's like I haven't read everything he's done and I'm I'm sure some of his books are, I'm sure they're all great, but I'm sure some of them are not for me. Yeah. But that one was, you know, I felt very like, fuck, I've got to just try and put my little two cents worth about yeah. this because it's so fucking good. I, was, I know he's going to get other good book, reviews, yeah. but I want to be on the record about this. Yeah, and So it, I know what that's like. Yeah.
1: And I'm, you know, when I when I came to reviewing, first of all, I wanted to make sure that I could understand that I'm trying to review that that work. Mm. I mean, yeah. And so it doesn't matter what other works have come, yes, yeah, etc. Yeah. It can it can help you give context. Yeah. but It's basically what have they tried to do with this particular book? Um, have they succeeded? If not, why not? You know, and that's fundamentally what a review is about. Yes. And do you um, think that's
0: easier to put across in a radio review than a print, like expectation wise yes. than a print review? Well, mostly
1: what I've been doing with Jesse is not even so much reviewing as mm. like recommending. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So I've been, when yeah. I, and when I started, I was mainly doing things like, you know, literary news and stuff because I was yeah. involved in so many bloody organizations. Yeah, I was yeah. going, hey, this is going on with this. Um, but, you know, the only one I'm involved with now is um, Verb, and they've got Claire maybe on as another one, so she can handle that part, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I've been sort of recommending, like the last one I did was about George Saunders' book of writing A Swim in the Pond in the Rain, which Mm. is a a fabulous book. Yes, I want to check that out. Oh, it's just, love it, Mm. absolutely love it, and um, it just felt like being in a big, warm hug Mm. the whole time, and I learned so much from it, and it was so funny, and Uh, so I you know and I've just and I think one before that I did like I really love the Rivers of London series which is you know never going to be quite as good as Terry Pratchett in my mind but it's still excellent and people really get pleasure out of it Mm -hmm. and I thought right we'll talk about that and talked about Gormenghast you know which I Mm -hmm. reread so for me it's about putting books in front of people that I think if if what I'm saying appeals to you and you haven't read it go read it because you will enjoy it Mm -hmm. and so it's not quite so much as reviewing. Um, so yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, but the
0: last book well, I you review. sort of. Um, so you're coming at that more from the angle of a reader than a writer. Yeah, yeah. Which not all book reviewers do, uh, particularly in print. A lot come at it, even if they are published authors, they really are coming at it from the point of view of a writer. Yeah. Picking holes and things, or you know, praising things. Either either side of the coin, they're coming at it. As yes. a writer,
1: yes, that's probably true, actually. But I've, I think I've always come at reviewing as a reader and yeah. using what mm-hmm. I know as a writer, to which be able to is explain that's right, which is totally valid and I yeah. think the, you know
0: actually the right way, and I, yeah. I feel like. I certainly have done that with music. I come at it from a point of view as a mm. listener. I'm not, yes, I'm, I'm not actually trying to tell people what they should, and what shouldn't they should and shouldn't do, and the what they star. shouldn't. Uh, it's, sometimes that'll be a component of it, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm no. trying to explain my listening experience.
1: Yeah, which is what I really like. You know, because yeah. say like listening to you talk about music is like, you know, I feel like I'm I'm learning something. It was like way back when. Like I like cars, so yeah. we'll just say that I like cars. Yeah. I like driving. <laughs> I, um, and w- way back when Top Gear first started, mm. it was a good show, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. talking 20 years ago, <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, a good show because yeah. you learned about yes. cars from yeah, people yeah. who were passionate and yeah. knowledgeable, yeah. and that is, there's nothing, nothing beats oh, learning way... from somebody who's passionate and totally. knowledgeable about, even about something yeah. deeply obscure,
0: and way back around that time, um, Clarkson even wrote, if you're into that stuff, a couple of books that were quite good about cars, right. but yes. you know it's hard to recommend that shit oh, now, oh, or right even have it on your shelf. I had to rid myself of it because I'm not, I'm not massively into cars, but I grew up around them. Mm. I I was pretty late to the Top Gear party, but I did I instantly saw what people got from it. Oh, we um,
1: were we were into yeah. Top Gear before it was the Top Gear that we know now. Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, but
0: and 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 I read a couple of volumes of his columns and. Books when they were more car focused. Yeah. I mean, his Sunday Mail or whichever thing he was doing—that no, that yeah. stuff is just horrible, terrible. Um, but yeah, I can't even have the cars books on the shelf now because I just think he's a twat. Nah. But you know, at least he knew how to structure a sentence, and you know, he could. And he was
1: entertaining. And, and he was you entertaining.
0: Know, that's right. Like when he, he, was, he, when he was, when he wasn't a complete jerk, when he was just a little bit of a jerk and not yeah. a complete jerk he knew what he was doing and how to do it. Yeah, that's right. It's a bit like and fuck, I'm following one bad person with another here, but it's a bit like I would always defend my de- my decision 20 years ago and 25 years ago to have read some of Bob Jones's books because he knows how to write, but now I don't know. Oh, want, I know. You know he he actually could tell an entertaining yarn. And yeah, I mean no, like he's, even he's, a couple he's... of his novels are were quite fun reads. There's a really cool novella he wrote called the permit which just mocks bureaucracy
1: i have no idea it's great i I think it's great
0: i think it's a classic i think it's a new zealand Ah. classic that taps into this great you know it's i I call it a new zealand classic in the way you'd call an early barry crump classic i'm not saying it's for everyone or a must read but it has its place in identifying who we were then but, God, am I going to go out there and go, Bob Jones is good, you must read him? No fucking way. Not well, it now. <laughs> comes
1: back to that argument. You know, we, we, what yeah. we were talking about before is that we can look at these things yeah. with a kind of a forensic, historical, anthropological yeah. eye. Yeah, of when this happened. Yeah, but, so um, my oldest son, is, who does comics, is particularly interested because he's, he's queer and he's very into um, the the sort of, you know, masculinity and... Mm. and toxic masculinity, but also about how this has come about. And he's very interested in it relation to New Zealand. So the, the stories that he writes are about being, growing up as a young man in New Zealand. And so he, now that they sort of republished John Mulgan, he knew mm-hmm. that Man Alone was one of these sort of seminal texts yeah. that he had to read. Yeah. And so he did get it and read it. And they had an, um, like a discussion at Feathers in Booktown about it. Uh, but it didn't, apparently for Calum. He wanted to know more about how people thought it applied today, which is yeah. what he was interested in. Yeah. But he can take that view someone, as a 29-year-old... Someone know, wrote man.
0: about that on the spin-off yeah, yeah, and That was an interesting piece. I yeah. Thought. Yeah, yeah.
1: But they very much, I think, looked at it from... I mean, they did sort of, you know, give it its historical due, mm. but they looked at it and found it very depressing, which yeah. I think... You know it's Callum a little bit like, well, yeah, yeah, but... but
0: duh, like, of course, it is. It is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, a bit there. spoiler, he died, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or <laughs> well, clues in the title, yeah. You know, it's but... like, it's like finding, um, you know, Hemingway depressing. Like, there's lots of other things to say about Hemingway now, uh, you know, in the jerk status, but yeah. depressing is sort of pretty obvious. You're just gonna, yeah, gonna yeah. To suck that one up, yeah, yeah,
1: with him. It's yeah. Just, yeah. I know, mean, yeah. but, but it is a fascinating, like, so. I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't have gone to Callum and said, Oh, you must read Man Alone as one of the most important New Zealand novels. You know, we say read it because it will inform what you are thinking and writing about at this particular Mm. time Mm, and mm. I think that's, you know, everything's got a worth, you know, to be able to tell you something about the time in which it was written and, you know, even going back over old Agatha Christie's and things, and, and even though, like, I'm just yeah. staring at Ducks Newburyport by Lucy Ullman, and apparently mm. Lucy Ullman wrote a, um, you know, she's written a series of essays, and one of them is like where she slags Agatha Christie right. and says it's only good for people who have head colds. <laughs> which, which <laughs> it's a good, you know, good line. That's though. a great line. Um, but the point is, and I think when I, when I read things, I... Well, a, I'm, I'm, I'm very willing to be pleased, mm. which does mm. help, I think, when you're reading something. Yeah, so I am, I am willing to give this a go and get into it and be pleased by something. You are
0: seeking a reward for your time investment. Yeah. You're saying, I'm here, I'm into this. Yeah. Now, hopefully, I'll get something of worth out of this because I'm investing in it.
1: You know, and something may not be as well-written as perhaps, you know, I would want, yeah, yeah. but it's highly entertaining, and I so I'm going to go, right, I'm going to tune myself to this frequency mm. and read it for the sheer entertainment value, and Agatha Christie never fails to please me. Yeah. She is fantastic.
0: And it's, yeah, well, it's like listening to, you know, bubblegum pop music yeah, exactly. or, or watching a rom-com or, you know, whatever doesn't have to just be a rom-com no. whatever like i mean i'm I, watching my,
1: ghostbusters yeah, the millionth time it. you know that's as it. i've yeah. got lots yeah. of
0: you know i mean my current sort of guilty pleasure obsession with what i making guilty pleasure but my current uh rabbit hole with watching is like trashy 80s horror which is very camp
1: <laughs> i've seen you you keep yeah, putting yeah. these things on and facebook like, no yeah. watching that. Never. No. And, and they're <laughs> no. so
0: they're so kind of camp yeah a lot of them and and tacky and um I find it just fascinating. But it's so it's fun for what they fun. are, and they're just so you know, the Friday the Thirteenth series to me is endlessly rewatchable because it's just so single layer. Like some, always, some horny teenagers get yeah. their throats slit <laughs> by a guy you can't kill. I can go out and make popcorn at any point in there and yeah. come back and not have missed a thing. No, <laughs> and I need that sometimes. You know, it can't it can't all be watching the stand for 11 no. hours you know or whatever else because
1: I loved um, I think you know I never watched horror I'm not good at horror I went yeah. to, I went to um, Poltergeist when I was 16 and it just did me in completely because I felt it terrifying Poltergeist is a
0: terrifying film for yep. a PG rated movie yeah for a
1: PG I think I was there's I a big know. story
0: about that that basically Steven Spielberg pretty much just swung his dick and went like I'm not having an R rating on the film I'm producing because I need this to be a hit no and, way yeah I mean I have is he uh,
1: responsible for my night terrorism yeah Steven I have I have,
0: I have really oversimplified that, but that is basically it. He basically went, "No, nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal these days, and I um, don't do our ratings." It did me, and it did me
1: for horror, and um, but the only one I ever went back to, which I did really like, was Tremors, which yeah, was hilarious. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. I'm
0: looking forward to because Oscar's getting into some of the stuff. And yeah, I'm looking forward to watching Tremors with Tremors him. Tremors is yeah. great. Yeah. That is very, very funny. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no Well, I'd there's think, um, that 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 comedy horror thing is yeah. good strain you know and i think um like shauna the dead yeah, Shana, yeah, exactly. is probably the great yeah. modern example yeah. of that yeah. and possibly almost almost ready to go on our list actually with um with eddie Vedder and bridget jones and that it started to inspire some pretty shitty things that have come from Rude. it um, but it itself is an exquisite work but it, it did it did set up a lot of shittier takes
1: shittier takes on that thing because it becomes <laughs> kind of like, you know, if that's the thing, and you know, people into it and of course publishing is like with anything, it's a business and they go, mm. hey this worked well here, let's go do another one of these or 50 million of them and so you know.
0: But it's fascinating the stuff like, also just to get back to what you are talking about earlier, like um, these sort of problematic characters that, that publish uh, a masterpiece of some kind Yes. The, there is something really compelling about getting inside that and going. Why did this work? And why is it so good? And why are you so bad? I think that is the the great sort of duality in in human it kind is. boiled down to one you know one simple study. Like how do we you know because if we, we we're all presenting our trying to present our best versions of ourselves, mm. you know, in this conversation we might be rambling on about all sorts of stuff, but we're trying to be intelligent without trying too hard and we're yeah. trying to talk about things we're
1: interested genuinely interested in and hoping yes. people
0: listening are have some care about we're not just you know naming names and talking shit but and on facebook we do that over curated version of ourselves yeah, a lot of us yeah. do but you know so we don't we can't show off our bad side we don't want to but it's there in all of us
1: and I think, you know, we have evolved a lot as society in terms of what we are prepared to...
0: Tolerate. Tolerate. And, yeah, and
1: yeah. we have, I think, made great strides in saying, well, this is no longer... We, we're not going to tolerate this. And mm. I'm sorry if you've, you know, um, had a free ride up till now. Um, that's just the way that society yeah, is. Yeah. And... And you know, and if that makes reading, rereading some classics or rereading even novels that were published ten years ago problematic, well, then it's that's yeah, just something to deal with too. Yeah, yeah, just deal with it. I it's mean, not an yeah. issue. I don't think.
0: No, I mean, I'm I'm thinking like, you know, in terms of big name writers, uh, a person who. Instantly, kind of gives people shudders that you mentioned might be someone like Norman Mailer, yeah. And yet, you know, he's written two books that I think are amazing, and one of them I read when I was young enough to not really know anything about him beyond yeah. the fact he's a published writer. So, no, no, no harm there. And yeah. also, it's the Muhammad Ali one; it's the the fight, so it's a sports book, and I don't actually think there's anything particularly troubling about it. But then I read um, The Executioner's Song quite recently, which is another 1,000-page book, mm. and the last big book I read. And I'm not a Norman Mailer fan. I think he's horrible. But this book is extraordinary. You is know, it? I would put yeah. it in, like, the top 10 books I've ever, ever read. And that is... And isn't that interesting? It that, is interesting, you know, and that, it's that's worth there.
1: kind of... And I read
0: that knowing as much as I need to know about him as a shitty character. You know? yeah. I'm, not, I'm not on his side. But I can't deny the 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 craft and power, power of that, of that book.
1: book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is going to be a thorny subject, and it's going to yeah. evolve as yeah. we evolve, and we are, you know, and when we cut down to us personally, we're going to be able to have to make our own decisions about what we are prepared to read and reread. Um, and so, you know, we talked about Jilly Cooper and. Julie, Julie Cooper is extraordinarily problematic for all sorts of reasons. She was bang on time in the 80s for what she was you wrote. Know, mm. The market was absolutely mm. ready for what she wrote, mm. and what she wrote was kind of extraordinary. Those first three books are just kind of brilliant and in their own way, but you go back, and everything just sort of goes, Oh, it's just awful. I cringe really for everything. My yeah.
0: mum has some jelly Cooper books.
1: Yeah, I, I just, yeah. but I can still go back. My mum's Red big Ridge. ones
0: are Danielle L. Steele oh, and yeah. um, Barbara Taylor Bradford. And, yes. You know, all that's like, she had, I think she's got rid of most of them now, but she Judas had Judas Kranz. Yep, yep. She yep. had like all of them and like, you know, dozens of. Titles by each of those writers Because they pumped them out Sydney Sheldon
1: <laughs> Oh Sydney Sheldon Oh my goodness But it's like Things like For instance I was um, actually Staying up here With my uh, friend When she lived next door And um, had uh, We had a Writer's group Romance mm. writer's group And she dug out Some old Found some old 1980s TV adapt- Adaptations of Barbara Cartland Yeah yeah. And she said These are the funniest things You are yeah. ever going to watch And so we did And it was like I think it was um James Fox one of those, one of the, Edward Fox, maybe, mm. you know, one of the actors, I think it was Edward Fox, actually, and he was playing the bad guy, and the bad guy's, um, he was Lord, and his surname was spelt W R O T H A M, but it was pronounced Rootam, so we were basically watching, Lord Rootam, and it's just, <laughs> I just, oh, so but, great.
0: I mean, one of the things we discovered a couple of months ago, and just totally got into and i i didn't plan to do this at all katie was looking for some absolute escapist tv and we stumbled upon um this program called um devious maids and it it is basically uh devious yeah devious maids and it is basically um a mexican soap opera that was um stolen and recast in america and after the first season they started putting the little... Because it got popular, they started putting the little adapted from thing. But it's Wrong, nowhere, nowhere in the first... So I, I, my, my belief is they were trying to just get away with, you know, and then they settled out of court yeah. or whatever. But it was <laughs> it was a, basically a follow-on to Desperate um, Housewives. Housewives. It was produced by the same person. And then Eva Longoria comes in and actually directs some of Devious Maids. But, man... I just got so into it. It was like such great storytelling. It was like stuff just zaps. is that the thing we're talking about with some people like Jilly Cooper. Like yeah. you just get whisked along and next thing you're into it. And I kind of went like, I'll set this up for you. Yeah, I'll sit here in the room and I'll read a book while you're watching. watching that and I'll hang out with you. But I don't really think this is for me. And I think I lasted about half an hour and then I'm like, She did that to him. What? You know, next thing I'm into it. And I do not watch these things. And I watched all four seasons of it in about two and a half weeks. And I'm looking up, um, you know, the wiki page and then I'm on fan forums to find out what happened because it got got cancelled, you know, at the end of its fourth season on the cliffhanger and the... The, the fans who are not like me at all were demanding of the producers, you know, for bring answers, it and bring it back and then like, you know, how do we get a Kickstarter going to get it on a smaller network and then we want answers to what happened and I'm just reading all this shit, you know, I'm, I'm over it now. It doesn't really sound like it, but I am. <laughs> but but <laughs> it, was, it was great fun and the thing that worked about it yeah. was... I knew that it was a load of shit, but it didn't matter to me because I had decided that that's what I was after, oh, sometimes and it was good enough. That you know? sort
1: of thing is perfect. Like we ended up sub watching Call My Agent, yeah. you know, a while back because somebody recommended it and said, "Oh, it's just kind of light." And you start watching it and going, "Oh, you know," and then you went, "Ah, oh, I love this show. I love these characters. I want to keep watching it." And it is. It's absolutely delightful. But sometimes that like, storytelling is found in the The weirdest places, Mm. like, you know, I say I like cars, so we started watching Formula One Drive to Survive, which is the worst bloody title of anything. Mm. But that is a masterpiece of editing (laughs) for storytelling. Yeah. Because they just follow that Formula One season and they've just obviously picked out all the kind of key players. But they've got no idea how it's going to shape up Mm. over a season. Yeah, yeah. But somehow, I mean, they must have just hundreds of hours of material but they edit it so that every story every episode builds on the next one and it layers up and then the conclusion is like yeah exactly what you need it to be extraordinary yeah yeah and
0: yeah i've found that with i think you know really the great medium for that is document i guess a little Mm. bit reality tv too but documentary filmmaking and limited um, series has been the great medium for that where people suddenly find themselves hooked on a subject they didn't think they cared about yeah because the story is propulsive and so well edited yeah yeah and you can appreciate those aspects to it or even just visually it looks compelling and then you just pulled in i mean the oj simpson story is fascinating sure um i would have thought for many reasons but the documentary that was made about him that's i think about eight hours long it's a documentary series I think it's the greatest thing I've ever watched. Like, Somebody it's else just, told me that, told is me that it just, was
1: extraordinary. It is yep. just
0: amazing. Yep. It's basically, I think it's up on the Disney Channel now, and it's like five hour and a half long. So it's basically mm. like five movies. Mm. Um, and they were screening it at film festivals as an eight-hour thing with a couple of intervals. Wow. And they would, like, you block out the time and go to it. They were doing that when it came out. It's a couple of years old. But I, I've only watched it once, but I intend to go back through the whole thing again because... Yep. I just felt like it was this potted history of like America and yeah. celebrity and racism, like so. And then you know, with about three hours to go, you get into the murder case, and it's like, oh, that, but you, as you watch it, you almost forget that the big story that everyone knows is still to come. He killed his wife. <laughs> you know, that's still that's still to come because it's this. It, it's got footage of him as a yeah. college football player.
1: But I mean, I remember growing up yeah, thinking yeah. he was amazing. a superhero, yeah, yeah, Because he yeah. was, Yeah, know? he was like this incredible person. Yeah. and yeah. But then all of that sort of, mind you, I bloody grew up with, my grandfather had Bill Cosby records, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> oh, well. And now he's, he's ruined it.
0: The thing that I probably cringed a little bit at the other day was uh, Facebook memories are flashing up a lot now. Oh, yeah. Uh, from 10 years ago. And I was sort of, Around two thousand eleven, twelve, I was sharing a lot of like quotes as my status, and that's and most of them are fine, you know, John Waters and yeah. whatever else. And a Bill Cosby quote oh, flashed no. up, and I was like, "Oh, I don't feel so good about." That.
1: No. <laughs> we'll just
0: quickly refresh that page and not share that at all. I like, can let that one just die. I mean, I mean, it was a harmless quote, yeah. but he is not a harmless he person. He's not a
1: harmless person. And I was
0: a. I grew up with the. Cosby Show and I read his books and I had his records and yeah, the whole thing. Like a lot of people. Yeah, but I mean, it was, you know, a long time ago the story of him became completely and utterly not okay. Like, and you just don't invest in any of the stuff with him. But you're seeing that was a real sharp, like, kind of, I felt really. But that's it, isn't it? Because
1: we don't realise how our, our tastes and our sensibilities and our, you know, just the way we frame things and and, and sort of look at things, our
0: filters, etc. Have moved on and evolved. I mean, I could make every justification in the world for that because I could go like, well... Yeah, I mean, there there have been stories circulated about him for years and I knew some of them back then too. But also that was a quote that was a funny quote about work. Yes. And so the reason I was using it, it was basically irrelevant who said it. But the point is I still shared it with his name on it, so it wasn't irrelevant. So, you know... But I also, like... Um, I'm not trying to make myself sound like I got out of jail, but it's just very interesting the timing of yes. when I did share it. Like mm. a couple of years later, it would have just been completely and utterly. But then not you okay. probably wouldn't. Have and I exa- done that. no, of course I wouldn't have. That's right. No. Like I wouldn't have. So it became an interesting reminder of that and as you say how quickly and how much we're sort of yeah. evolving with with how much we're having to deal with
1: yeah and I just I think that is a, it's a really good thing and people are going to push yeah you know, for every move forward people are going to push push back against those. and we're
0: not for, you know yeah. and, um, people like our age are um, you know we didn't grow up we're not digital natives, so, no. so we're learning this stuff and we're having to, you know, it's not second nature to us. No. It's becoming that way, which is good. A lot of it's becoming that way, like we're very quickly making these decisions about yeah. what's, what's not okay and what's not yeah. good to be behind and what you don't need to try and justify, but, you know, our children um, and people like that, that, that era, they're just growing up yes. with a much better sense of what's not okay, basically.
1: They they absolutely are, and I think you know both my boys went to Wellington High, and you know I went to a girls' school, and I just think even being you know at a co-ed school that was particularly inclusive, mm. um, you know they they it was just, I felt like it was so fortunate for them. I was so pleased for them to be able to be in an environment where they learn that they are accepted for themselves, and then they can accept other people. You know, no matter who they are and what they do and but that they still got you know um principles around how they interact with each other and what's okay and what's not okay and then they're they're also a lot braver about calling it out you know it's like
0: well i think like you know there's obviously going to be people that won't agree with this and because of their politics or whatever but i would have thought that right now the um the the options people have for self identifying mm. the, the the diversity of gender, which is only a great thing, um, would make it very tricky for single sex schools to even exist. exist. Um, would have thought.
1: I, I can see that that's going to have to yeah. evolve. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that that has been sort of pushed that they have allowed. I say that naively. Transgender I'm sh- students. That's right. I'm, I'm sure I'm, that I'm sure, they are. That's yeah. right. I'm
0: not. It's not a, a total mm. indictment. I'm mm. sure some schools are evolving that and doing great things, but. I feel like, man, that's a hard sell.
1: It's, it is, and I mean, I think that um, you know, education is going to, in a, in a weird way, the education system itself is one of the most, uh, the slowest to evolve, really, yeah. when we think about what it's like. Like yeah, in this yeah. book that I mentioned that Oprah Winfrey and Bruce Perry wrote, they talk about how the education system is absolutely not set up Mm. To enable well, in a funny kind of children way children to manage the no, things that they have and, to manage, and
0: and in a funny kind of way, lockdown, yeah, or lockdowns plural, have been uh, some sort of measurement of that, right? And that for a lot of workers, mm. not all, but for a lot, there was some sense of almost business as usual, and certainly being yes. able to adapt. But the school system yes. did not. I mean some schools coped with it as well as they could, but also because you're dealing with people that are um, emotionally still yes. finding themselves. Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, th- th- that's a lot for them to deal with, and then mm. for the change of circumstance, it's, yeah, it, the wheels so we, kind of yeah. fell off, I think.
1: We had that with, you know, we had staff, our, our team for the business that my husband basically is, I'm trying to, at the moment I've sort of stepped back and sort of get him, because um, he's, Kind of tired of running, doing the day-to-day mm. management. So I've gone back into kind of the team in Wellington are getting up to up to speed. I mean they're all, they're awesome, but they're all quite young. And like mm. over lockdown last year, we had one in particular who's no longer with us. But she um, she's gone to be a social worker, which is awesome. Mm. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, she found lockdown extraordinarily challenging for her because I think she was um, she's very Committed to her church, that's what she's doing. Her social work with, with her church, but she's very committed. Was very committed to that and to having a community around her. Mm. And I think people that you know needed that community found it really tough. Mm. And she did, poor girl. Yeah, I mean, we you know we helped her a lot, and she was. We could, you know, there were things that we could do to make life easy for yeah, her, yeah, yeah. easier for yeah. her. But it wasn't. I was really interested to sort of see the effect that it had had on her, um, it was quite, yeah, it was quite significant. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, education, it's like, oh Lord.
0: Um, well, we've had an enormous chat, which yeah. I knew, I knew we would, um, and we could keep going for days. Uh, and we've had some versions of some of this chat <laughs> in person and online yes. over the last couple of years. But is there anything that you wanted to... I mean, we, I would. you really only gave a quick plug to good books, so I sort of feel like we should finish with that. But is there anything else that you wanted to sort of talk about or put across?
1: Honestly, is there anything I would like to talk about and across? No, I mean, for me, writing, you know, I'm never going to make a living out of writing I mean who knows one of these days I Mm. might if I write Mm. enough romances and they take off and I learn enough about self-publishing maybe I will um but it's it's something that you just want to keep going it's not about yeah money it's about an expression like me going back into the business at the moment I haven't really been writing and I really miss it, like I get itchy for it, and so I'm going to have to find something to write, you know, so I've ended up writing, you know, going up columns for the spin-off or mm, mm. newsroom or something like mm. that, because I'm bloody desperate to actually write something yeah. <laughs> that isn't an email in a work capacity. Yeah. So that's, you know, the, for me that says that, that the creativity, the creative part of it is kind of a central part of my being that I have to keep going mm. with. Um no, and Good Books has been amazing.
0: So you decided to start a bookstore, in, in the pandemic, in the pandemic, that was basically when you put the plans all together and, and we came out the other side of that with a bookstore we selling did. new books. And as you said, you and Jane both um, got skin in the game in terms of you have books for sale yourselves. We do. You're published authors. Jane's a award winning poet. Well, the um, I mean, you
1: know, that wasn't in the plan. But then the little bookshop, and you know, Marsden Books and Karora came up for sale and Janie just joked on Twitter and said, will someone buy it for me? And, I mean, I've known Janie since, because we, we did the um, MA mm, together in mm. 2015, even though she was in the other class. Mm. Um, but I thought she could manage, she wants. wants. She want, She would want to manage it. We could do Yes, because she had a whole background well, as a, as a, a book retailer. Well, she seven years and, time out yeah, and such, yeah, yeah. and, you know, and she'd been put by there. Yeah. And, and I went, I trust you and I know that you could do it and so and then I wrote down my my brother and another friend to kind of minor shareholders in it um but we thought well, so we sat down and we the first thing we did was sort of work out well what did we want to do with a bookshop and the advantage of buying an existing bookshop was that it, it had cash flow and it had customers mm. and it was all set up the disadvantages it would not be the bookshop that we would have designed yeah, yeah, from scratch yeah. But then, of course, that became a moot point because we bid on Narsen and Books and we missed out. And then I was sort of, like, annoyed and sad for about half an hour until I remembered that this, this the place in Jessie Street, just by Prefair Cafe, was possibly coming up. And um, because i talked to the woman, you know, who mm. had been in the shop and she told me she was shutting down. And so I rang her immediately and said, Are you? And she said, Yes. And I said, Have they rented your place out? And she goes, No. And I ran down, I was up at Vic, and so I ran down and I said... Um, pinned the potential landlord up against the wall and said well you rent it to us and had to jump through a few hoops but that was how Good books was born Mm -hmm. and then we did get to design it exactly I mean literally and in principle and in our values exactly the way that we wanted to do it yeah which has been hugely fun and
0: and so you're still um a little while off first year of business. Yeah, it it to
1: October. Yeah, October say 12th. it
0: won't be too long. It's no. coming out. And it's been a good year. It has.
1: It has. I mean the good thing for us starting when a pandemic was sort of underway is we understood what we were up against in terms of the delivery issues yeah. and all that sort of, you know, stuff that everybody's in the same boat. Um, but we could plan for that and uh and Jane isn't just amazing as a manager and the things that she, ideas she comes up with, We've got a, you know, um, cool, very small team. Um, we, I think, I was surprised at how quickly people started. I was thinking it would take us till closer to Christmas to get to people get really knowing us yeah, about yeah. it and traction, but no, it picked up pretty quickly, which was nice. There,
0: there are a few bookstores in Wellington still, mm. and they all, seem to have or well, many of them they have their loyalty right yes. too so you're kind of the new kid on the block and you're picking the pockets of all of them and you know obviously their book buyers go yeah to more than one bookstore but there are you know and obviously unity is the big player yes and you're you'd be a fan of unity oh
1: god yeah, yeah absolutely
0: but you're suddenly you've got this vested interest in, you want to steal some of their customers, of course you do.
1: Well, you hope that... Or I mean, share
0: some of their share customers. Share some of their customers, I'd say, Possibly a better word, yeah.
1: You know, we're up the other end of town. That's where right. It's not an easy yeah. walking distance to you No, know, so you're so, providing
0: a nice um, yeah. position for people that have felt that, oh, you know, we're, yes. we're nowhere near a bookstore, suddenly we've got one right near us. So that's your main thing that you're tapping into. But, I and, think we are. But then also you become a, hopefully you become a destination... In and of itself, too, right? Is the the secondary goal, like people are actually hunting us out.
1: Yeah, and I think we sort of we thought we'd spend this first year kind of getting to know who our customer base is. You know, who mm. are the people that come in and shop with us on a regular basis? What are they interested in? I mean, we had to take an entire punt on the stock, not knowing the customers. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. What a if whole you get bunch that wrong? Of books. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, you know, obviously we can, you know, shape that up, which, which. Jane is constantly doing, looking at what yeah. selling, and looking at what people are interested. Yeah, in. Yeah. What are your strengths? What are your things that yeah. people are
0: coming to you for? Yeah, exactly. Suddenly, you become a slightly different store than you imagined. You know, it's all it's all in the right warehouse, but yes. you maybe you're selling more kids' books than you thought you would, or whatever. Exactly. And it becomes you grow that part more.
1: So yeah. you know things that we thought. You know, take a punt on. Um, some of them have we've been right about, and some of them we're just adapting to. Mm. Uh, but that is that is what being in business is all about: being responsive to what the customers want, um, while still being true to our own principles about what books we want to have and what we don't. And mm. I mean, it was fascinating. Jane had this idea to do a sale, but link it to uh, be a fundraiser, mm. and we chose. Mm. And we you know we asked the team, and you mm. know she asked the team what. Shared a couple of charities in mind, and you know, because she's got like queer and non-binary kids. So I have. We've got mm. queer and non-binary staff members, and we wanted. So we ended up supporting Inside Out, which is you know mm. Pops. Mm. um especially with young people. Uh, and we she noticed that because I popped. I was down there in Wellington. I popped in in the afternoon, and people were supporting us and coming to that sale because of that yeah which was really heartening yeah and lovely to see but then again they will probably come back as customers that's right
0: yeah because they've seen a sense of the values they've had a good experience yeah um and and it also becomes you know there is a marketing angle to that too you, you know you've got to be honest like that was a move and it, you believe in it but it's a move to let people know who you are and where you are and so that's paid off hopefully too yeah
1: and I think but you know you can do that I mean all mm. you know it is always about marketing because you, you need yeah, customers to be right. able to run a that's business that's right and we want people. We're still, you know, people going. How long have you been here? Is yeah, a yeah. Personal affront to them that they didn't, they know, didn't we, know we didn't yeah. tell them. You know, because you just did
0: know. just sort of sneak into existence too. It was it like you did do a launch, but you also did a bit of a soft launch? And well, just,
1: exactly. We just kind of wanted
0: to kind of just open your doors and tell a few people, but exactly, you wanted to be found. We
1: did, yes, yeah. and obviously we're sort of like you know around the back, you know, yeah. up the lane, so that always is, adds a little. Um, uh, sort of doesn't make as as easy as it could be, yeah. um, not being right on the um, street front. But slowly and surely, people have discovered us, and we've got... Now,
0: you were nice. never going to be day-to-day involved in the store, no. but now you've moved away, uh, do, like, do you... Are you still? Do you still feel as connected? Is that a sadness about not being I mean, in I, Wellington?
1: We'd we'd made the decision to move up here when Janie and I went into the bookshop, so that was yeah, always going to happen. Yeah. But I.
0: But you were there for the was, um, refit and for the opening, and now you're. We not. were absolutely
1: yeah. where we worked really hard and yeah. it all set up and doing everything. We were just, you know, it was a really good team. But and I, but I do miss kind of I used to go in there and just hang out. Mm. and now when I'm down in Wellington I'm usually busy I'll always pop in but I can't always stay Mm. and so um, but we are going down for my son's 30th birthday and we're actually taking a few days and I'm going to be in that bookshop every day (laughs) I just I love it I love it I love the whole vibe of it I love feeling like it's something that I've you know helped build and I love the fact also because I'm not the book buyer is every time I go in, there's something new. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's so it's exciting, and I can go. But I mean, like up here, I love Wardini's. Wardenies is yeah, a fantastic yeah, independent agreed. bookshop. Yeah, and I will share the love. You know, if I'm yeah. in another town where there's a great independent bookshop, I will go and buy something. Yeah, from that bookshop because we should all support each other, and it's a great bookshop community. Yeah,
0: and bookshops are. Uh, um they have an experience about them, yes. ideally. Like, yes. especially independent stores where they're not all looking the same and, and having their hot titles. But, I mean, God, I'll go into a branded chain store in yep. another town just to have a look. If yep. it's the only option, of course I will. Because Absolutely. And mm-hmm. sometimes find the thing I didn't know I was looking for. But I'll more likely, and yeah, go to the indie stores and I'll find, yeah. you know, and I'll like the experience. And I love going into, um, yeah, Wardini's is great. Mm, I love yeah. going in there and finding... Things that I haven't found in other stores. Exactly. Just just one or two, but, or just, and just that whole thing of the different curation on the different day means that something sticks out to you that.
1: You maybe might not maybe have you've
0: bypassed it every time in another store. Well, they
1: yeah. were the ones who got me onto the Rivers of London series because yeah. I just saw them all out. They were all in Wardenny's Napier, and I went, tell me about these. Mm. And they went, I think you'll love them because, you know, they know me well enough yeah, to know yeah. what I like. Yeah. And I went, I'll take you up on that. So I read the first one and then just came back instantly, like about yeah. two days later and said, I'm having every single one. Thank you very much. I'll buy them all. And, you know, I'm happy to do that from another bookstore that's not my own because... I mean, I'm in the fortunate position where I can afford to buy Mm. to buy books, and so I will share that love around.
0: Mm. And so the most recent book is actually the third. And Gabriel's Bay, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's sort of they. And wrapping it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably will write more, but that one works as a puts a nice full
0: stop on it for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: That's how I feel. Hasn't
0: closed the door, but completely, but but yeah.
1: But they are actually a nightmare to plot, and I find them yeah. quite hard work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't read the new one yet, but I like the ones—the two I read. I'm like, I just kind of saw it as a constant juggling feat. Like that's how I read it. I was just like, "This is cool. I like this. It's fun. I'm into it." But I just kept reading. I guess because I knew I was going to talk to you, I just kept reading them, going man's balls in the air the whole time yeah it is yeah
1: it is and that's the thing is like trying to figure out how the hell they're all going to land and that is actually quite tricky Mm. so but i think you know once you get your head into sort of a framework for it it's not as daunting as when i did the first one which was like a complete mindfuck i have to say quite frankly
0: Mm. Well, it seems like a good place to leave. We've had a huge chat. A huge chat. I think always, always ending on the word mindfuck is good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>